3: Hello out there. Welcome to episode 25 of the podcast, Love That Album. Welcome all on board. Thank you very much for downloading. My name's Morris Wishtynski, and this is very exciting. Um, a quarter of a hundred, that's the way how I think of it, episodes of Love That Album. I was never really sure I was going to make it this far. It was just a bit of an experiment. And here it is, 25 episodes and one year later since uh, when I started Um it was yeah, about a year and a week ago this time, and I was actually originally recording this episode about one or two days after the anniversary, but we had technical difficulties, so here we are a week later, and before I go into talking about what albums are going to be covered on uh, this episode, um, I'll introduce my regular co-host and hopefully for many more episodes of Love That Album Regular Co-host, Mr. Michael Persh from the Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide podcast. Good evening, Michael.
4: Good evening, Morris. How are you doing? It's a great pleasure and congratulations on your 25th Anniversary, even though it has taken us three attempts to get in the testing. testing, testing.
3: <laughs> Indeed, um, I, I mean, you know, your your good self has already sort of, uh, surpassed quite well uh, over the three hundred episode mark of sitting in a bar in Adelaide. So I feel I'm just breathing down your neck now.
4: It's it's interesting though, mate, and I think you you said a, a similar thing to me when uh, when we I think when we first started when we first uh, made contact with each other when you start doing something like this. Your your initial thought is, you know, I'm going to run out of steam and run out of things to talk about, and and exactly the opposite seems to happen, doesn't mm, for sure. it? For sure, goes and goes and goes.
3: Yep, uh, I mean, look, it's it's from two perspectives. I mean, as well, I've discovered for myself that wow, there really are a lot of albums that I can have something to say. I mean, there are a lot of albums that I like, which I don't think I could go into that sort of level of detail. But there certainly are a lot of albums that I think, yeah, I, well, I could talk about that, which I hadn't thought about before. Yeah, I could talk about that one. But the beautiful thing is through feedback that I've had um because of the show or on the Love That Album Facebook page, there have been some really fantastic people, you know, both locally and overseas who have made suggestions of albums and have said, look, you know, can I come on the show and we'll talk about that? And I'm thinking, wow, that's fantastic. I wouldn't have thought to do that album or or, or it might be something that they like that I might not be so familiar with. So, you know, we've got quite a few shows lined up. Um, It's almost daunting because I think I've got a... They've all said, oh, let's do it soon, let's do it soon. So I've got to write a lot of notes and uh, listen to quite a few albums. But, yes, you're right. It's um, I- I'm not going to run out of uh, albums to talk about any time soon. So, um, yeah, really having a ball with this podcasting thing. It's a great little community, uh, a lot of wonderful people out there who really know and love their music and are uh, quite happy to uh, share their thoughts and uh, share their recommendations. So, yeah, having a great time with it. And that
4: is a wonderful thing, mate. Right? It is... Uh... Music opens those doors for everybody and it's, yeah, the power of music.
3: Hallelujah. So, at this stage, we should probably mention uh, what albums that it is that we're covering tonight. This is um, a band that is very much a favourite of both yourself and myself, a band from the late 70s, originally from uh, your good town of Adelaide, but then moved over to Melbourne. We're talking about Stars.
4: Indeed. And one of my favourite bands, indeed, and... And the antipodes of, of the other bands that I loved when I was when I was a teenager, and I guess I'm not sure how many people remember Stars, but they were very much, uh, you know, jeans and check shirt, no frills sort of band. But <laughs> they their
0: they music, were.
4: Their music said it all, and, and and a lot of the bands that I liked were at the time were were very much the opposite of that. Mm. But, but Stars, the music is is still so strong, and it's, you know that's been an enduring and an enduring factor of the, of the band still still today indeed. Yeah, look, they
3: they're a band which I was sort of never really sure about how much people had remembered them, but um, uh, Mick Peeling, the lead singer of the band, who well, I should probably mention at this stage another very exciting feature about tonight's show is I'll be playing an interview that I had with Mick Peeling, the lead singer of Stars, uh, a week ago. Uh, just basically to recollect his memories of S.T.A.R.S. and of recording the two albums uh, that they recorded as, you know, studio albums, uh, Paradise and Land of Fortune. Uh, And he was absolutely wonderful uh, to speak to, very generous with his memories. And um, I'm looking forward to playing that a little bit later on in the show. But what Mick Peeling has done is he has gotten together with a, a Victorian band um, not out of Melbourne, I can't remember, it was somewhere out in country Victoria, I think, uh, called the Prairie Oysters. And they'd originally gone and invited him to come and sing a couple of stars' songs with them. And he liked them so much, he basically said, Well, why don't we do a full stars' show of it? And they were quite happy to do that. Their first show in Melbourne at the Caravan Club sold out in record time. And now they've got another one booked for early October, which I've booked my ticket for. I'm very, very excited about that. And they're going to be touring the country with it. So apparently there's a lot more interest than I actually thought. And I'm, I'm really very happy to hear that. People remember stars quite fondly in this country.
4: That's wonderful. I uh, Fingers crossed they're heading in my direction because I will be front and centre with that one for sure.
3: That'd be quite ironic that he wouldn't pay a visit to his hometown.
4: Yeah, it's funny though, mate. You know, stars one of one of the, the sad things and, and, and I'm I'm surprised Nick didn't didn't mention when he had a chat with him. Um Adelaide really didn't take them to their heart like Melbourne did. Mel- and that and that's why they you know, they made Melbourne their home. Um, mm-hmm. Melbourne really looked after the band and, and Adelaide sort of treated them as second second class citizens, much to my disgust and and to much to the dismay of the band, I thought. <laughs>
3: You know what, I think actually he might have, maybe not using as harsh words as that, but I think he did allude to that fact. Uh, well, anyway, look, you listeners will, out there will get to hear what Mick Peeling had to say in a little while, and once again, absolutely, it was my complete pleasure to, um, have, I, I you know, tracked him down through his website, sent him an email, and, you know, I wasn't sure would he want to be speaking about uh, stars again, even though he was doing this show, but he was... Very forthcoming and very happy to talk about that. And he's done like a multitude of other projects since Stars disbanded in the early 80s. Um, but um, yeah, he, he was more than willing to talk about those great songs. He, I think he mentioned on his website that he still holds that part of his musical life with a great amount of pride and affection. And some of those reasons will come out in the interview and in um, the discussion, no doubt, that Michael and I will have uh, later on in the show. Uh, look, before we go there, I always like to ask my co-host what they've been listening to, which I will get to in a minute. But, Michael, you've been just doing a multitude of things, so please enlighten us.
4: <laughs> my, my life is not dull at the moment, mate, as, as you were aware of. The uh, I've ceased employment of the company that, that Morris and I work, or Morris is still there, but yeah, someone's got to hold up the fort
5: for thirty years <laughs> or 30, nearly thirty
4: years, uh, which is uh, which is rather nice. Not to have to travel to the city every day, so very happy about that. But yeah, lots of things bubbling along at the moment. I, I, um, I guess the first the first thing that sort of that took um a great chunk of my time, but a, a great delight is uh, that I'm co managing a great band from Adelaide called the Borderers. They are, uh, I guess, a a Celtic world music sort of act, but fantastic musicians. And, um, really, really proud to, uh, to have, uh, have my finger in the, in the Borderers pie. The, the guys are in, uh, in Denmark, as we speak, uh, wowing them at some festivals in Europe. And, and the latest feedback I got from, um, from the guitar player, Jim, was that they, uh, they went down so well at, uh, at a, at a festival in Denmark, that they were not only invited back next year, but invited to headline one of the days. So uh, wow,
3: that's I'm, excellent news. I'm hoping for a ticket. Next I, I was about to say, did did they say, well, we're not coming back unless you pay for our manager? <laughs>
4: uh and uh, lots lots of things on the go with those guys. We're we're putting together a a, uh, a sort of a theatre performance that we hope to um, at least put on in Adelaide, whether it will tour is. is uh, will remain to be seen, but uh, nice. lots of festivals coming up with those guys. They do all the big festivals around Australia, Tamworth and Gibby. They, I guess that's the interesting thing about the borders. is they, they, they're they a very chameleon sort of band. They, they're they not really, you know, they, they're country enough to fit into or folky enough to fit into Tamworth and, uh, you know, they'll they play WOMAD and they, they do so many different things. So interesting stuff and I'm, I'm having a ball with those guys.
3: Yeah, well, what I heard from them on youtube they certainly sounded like they'd fit into something like port fairy here in victoria
4: absolutely and i think they've done port fairy before and and definitely doing it uh doing it uh, the coming festival which i think is early in the year i think okay there's too many old them; I lose track anyway <laughs> um what else have i been up to yes the uh, and i've i've recently done uh, there's a there's an adelaide company that that's been around since i was yeah at, at primary school that uh that started off making sheet music and and learned to play instruments, sort of books, and they've they've uh, branched into making DVD. So I've uh, I've had a bit of a uh, had a bit of a look in with those folks uh, to uh, to see if they might might uh, take up my drumming talents to uh, to do uh, to make some DVD. So I did that uh, last week, and that was a lot of fun, smile for the camera, sort of stuff. That
3: was so did you record something that's definitely going to be put out, or, or was this an audition?
4: What was it? No, just an audition. They're, um. Yeah, I don't know how many people that um, that they're going through, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, um, and, and the, the the funny thing was, it's it was in a, a part of the city in in Adelaide called uh, suburb called St. Peter's, and and uh, when when they gave me the address to go to, it, it was very familiar, and um, it turned out to be, and I, I thought it was where I where I was thinking, but it turned out to be about two um, two two uh, doors from the first place I ever lived when I moved out of home, so it was, wow. I haven't been back there since, so it was wonderful to sort of go back to a part of town that I had memories of far too many years ago. Yes, <laughs> very exciting. And then today, we've, uh, my band 4am have been in the studio recording <laughs> a heap of old 50s tunes because we've uh, we've been asked to put a submission to, uh, to the nice people at P&O who do, um, they do sort of themed music cruises, and um, yeah, they're looking they're looking for some uh, some bands to do that. So the the first one that we've been asked to sort of put a show together is uh, is all old 50s stuff. So it's the headline is a, a sort of old Australian acts like Cold Joy and mm. Stormy Row, and I think Chubby Checker, which <laughs> I must admit I, I did realise he was still,
0: still alive. Wow,
4: that's right. So um, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, we've been busily doing that today, and I only finished probably an hour and a half ago. and we're back, wow, we're back at ten o'clock in the morning. So,
3: <laughs> and here you are up at Saturday night, some ungodly hour, talking about music with me, having on on this podcast. I'm truly honoured.
4: Talking about one of my favourite bands, and it's uh, it's a great pleaser.
3: Mm. All right, so now that we know that you know, basically you have no time to be gainfully employed because you're spending too much time, you know, enjoying yourself. My God. Um. All right. So look at this point. What have you actually been listening to? Like, you know, in in the one or two minutes that you're not actually sort of doing work, uh, what is it that you've been listening to of late?
4: It's a, it's a bit like that. And I, I did. Strangely enough, I did manage to play an LP this week, which I don't often get to do, and I. I, I threw Nebraska on the turntable and I know oh, you love Bruce and
3: Nebraska's fantastic. I, I think it's a lot of people's favourite Bruce album.
4: It really is mine and, and I not only two reasons, because the the tunes are so strong, especially side one. The tunes on side one are just I think some of Bruce's best lyrics. Uh, but I love the arrangements, the, the sparsity and, and the Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that I, I really found it hard getting to know Bruce Springsteen back in the 70s, I didn't like the arrangements of, of a lot of Born to Rum and, and that sort of stuff. And, okay. And Nebraska, for me, really, really did it. I just love the simplicity of it.
0: Mm,
3: mm. Okay, so you said you had that on vinyl.
4: I, I have it on vinyl, yes. And I, yeah, excellent. I, I gave it a run this week, so it was. It was uh, I did enjoy that indeed.
3: That would have sounded mighty.
4: I, I have I, I don't think I've actually seen it on CD.
3: I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Oh well, yeah, I have it on CD. I, the the um the albums I have on vinyl actually, I think the first three um uh, greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, the Wild Be Innocent, the East Street Shuffle, and Born to Run. Um, everything else is on on the CD. Oh no, sorry, I got the River on vinyl as well. Oh, yes, you know,
4: I think I did too. Mm. Most of my Bruce collection is wine.
3: Yes, yeah, a fine thing, a fine yeah, thing. thing.
4: <laughs> and anyway, the, one of the other things that I, I do get to do now—I'm a semi-man of leisure—is—is is take my dog for a long walk every day. I have a lovely border collie, and uh, she uh, she gives me an excuse to strap the Walkman or the uh, the MP3 player on, and yep. uh, <laughs> so and I, I I really use that time. And I guess I did when I used to I was travelling up and down. Work uh, was listened to other podcasts, and I very rarely would put an actual album on my uh, on my MP3 player. So I, I did put a copy of Coast to Coast, which is an old live album from The Faces. Oh yes, and I, love, I haven't listened to it for so long, and I I really really enjoyed it. I, I really had forgotten how how great the rest of the Faces were. Take Rod Stewart out of the equation. <laughs> so,
3: well, no, take song. take him out of the equation post. Um, the first couple of solo albums, because you, know, you know, for a time he was all right. Uh,
4: and I, I, you know, I, and I, I guess on most people, the you know the the faces seem to be in in you know with rock and roll. It, anyone who has a, a real love for rock and roll, the faces are a very much loved band. But everyone seems to be in the opinion that yeah, Rod sort of went off the rails, and yeah. and I can sort of take a leave Everything he's done since then, but but I yeah, I really I really it really opened up my ears at. I guess I haven't listened to to that album for so long, but um yeah, Ronnie Wood is just yeah, what a magic guitar player, and mm. and the rest of the band were just are just fantastic there. Oh, and we've done this before, but we <laughs> technical problem stopped it from uh, stopped us from finishing our conversation. But the, there's a. There's a sloppiness about the faces that I love, yeah, and, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. It's, no, completely
3: under, it's completely a, understand.
4: I, I can't really put it into words. that there's a loose sort of feeling that, that you know very few bands have, and, and the Stones and the Faces have that, and maybe that's got a lot to do with the with the great Ronnie Woods.
3: Oh, look, in a, any time that um, <laughs> the the brief amount of time that I actually had drum tuition, um, from. Um, Pedalaskum, uh, he he said tight, oh. tightly. Well, yes. Uh, he said tight but loose, tight indeed. but loose. So, oh yeah, completely understand that that concept.
4: Mm-hmm. So that's about that's about all that's uh, that's graced my ears that uh, in the in the last uh, week or so, Morris. Because as you said, I've been busy running around doing other things.
0: Mm-hmm, indeed.
3: All right. So I'll just mention. Um, Three or so albums. I've been listening to more, but these are ones which really sort of got my ears over the last couple of weeks. Um, the new or newish album. It's I've only just discovered that it was out, but it might have been out a little bit longer than um, the last couple of weeks. It's a new album from Melbourne trio Even. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Even, um, uh, but
4: not so much. And you did mention it to me, and it, it, I, I actually and I. I do have it written. I, I have a, a little desk calendar that I write things that they're on to, you know, must follow up and it's on my list to follow
3: up. Look, you know, if there were, if there was any justice in, in the world, then even would be huge. Um, and look, I mean, they, they certainly do have a very devoted following, certainly here in Melbourne. I don't know about the rest of the country, but in, um, in Melbourne, they are uh, in, in one section of the music community. Anyway, that, uh, really loved I mean but they've been around for oh, I don't know 15 or so years they've put out about six or seven albums um and I had the first two I hadn't bought another one in like you know quite a while I really don't know why because I love those first two albums but then I saw this um this new one called In Another Time and I thought damn it I got to have it and the front cover alone is is just fantastic it really sort of puts you in mind of a 1960s psychedelic uh, EP. I wouldn't exactly call this all psychedelic, although there is an element of that there, but it's just great rock and roll. Um, I mean, look, I love UMI, although I think that there have been a couple of albums in recent times where they've gone off the rails a little bit, but um, this album by Even is as, you know, is good as, if not even better, than the first two albums that they put out, you know, 15 or so years ago. They're um lead singer lead guitarist is a guy called ash Naylor, and you know australian rock fans would be quite familiar with him i think he's played um uh, with paul kelly's band in recent years uh, and might have even been a you know a session player for other people so he's, he's a fine uh fine guitarist fine chops player but um the thing about even is it doesn't sound like a session band. They are a band. And you know, some of the songs on here have a great sort of, well, funny you mentioned faces. They have a bit of a faces, early 70s stone swagger about them. Um, and yet there are some songs that just have a really beautiful, sweet pop nature uh, about them. And he's got some, um, besides the three of them, they've got some great side players on some of the songs. Uh, the Bull Sisters... Sing harmonies on uh, one of the tunes called "Overtime," and uh, the Wolfgram sisters sing on another tune called "The Full English." So, uh, yeah, some some uh, some great backup vocals from there. Bruce Hames, who's um, uh, something of a a, an organ uh, organ whiz in uh, Australian pop, uh, plays on a couple of tunes. Um, Just beer. So they're surrounded by some really uh, really great. Side, side people, but really the, the core of the group is Ash Naylor, uh, Matt Cotter and Wally Kempton, also known as Wally Meany of, uh, the Meanies. Uh, I'm sure, uh, a lot of our, um, listeners from overseas might be aware of the Meanies. So, yeah, I'd recommend that you search out Even's new album in another time. Actually, I really strongly thinking that this is going to be, um, something that I want to cover for a future. Love that album. So, Try and track that one down if you can, Michael. Uh, really good album. Um, it sounds, it sounds right. uh, the second album I want to bring up is something from um, well, the latest album of Glenn Hansard. Uh, he of The Frames um, and of The Swell Season. And of course, well, I don't think he likes to be reminded of it, but he was um, in The Commitments as um, uh, the guitar player, friend of Jimmy Rabbit. And um but he's put out a new album, yes called Rhythm and Repose. Now I love his songwriting. i I really admire the frames, but I always sort of got the impression that the albums put out by the frames were maybe a little bit overproduced and I could really sense that you know that at the core of it though, the songs were fantastic. And I don't know. Have you seen the film once?
0: No, I can't say. Oh
3: look that that film came out about four or five years ago as um a certain uh, music commentator in this country would say do yourself a favour, go down to your local video library or wherever you can and find yourself um, a copy of the film once to watch. It will just win your heart and it's basically, I mean there's other people in it but it's really basically a, a two-hander between Glenn Hansard and I've forgotten the name of um, the lead actress in the film but basically uh, Glenn and the other and the woman who he plays opposite um, became an item after the movie and the film was about these two characters gradually sort of falling in love and then they made, they got together in real life, formed a band called The Swole Season, made a documentary about them which I haven't seen but I believe that's about their, it, by the end of the film it's about their relationship coming apart at the seams. So he's gone and put this album together, uh, Rhythm and Repose, which is, it's not really a breakup album, not like uh, Beck sea change or anything like that or like any Chris Isaac album but um, I mean like I, I could say it's got you know, a lot of melancholy on that but that's a typical Glenn Hansard album and I don't think I can think of anyone today who sings with as much genuine emotion as he does I mean you hear a lot of songs where to me it sounds like a put on but everything that Glenn does is you know it's really from the heart it must be a hard job for Glenn Hansard to be Glenn Hansard because he just, he, he sounds like his heart's going to burst open at any time. Um, I mean, look, there's a, there's a photo in the center of the booklet that comes here and he, he, he's smiling. He's looking very, very happy, but, um, oh, I don't know. He just sounds like his heart's about to break, the poor thing. Um, but yeah, I'd really recommend this new one. Very emotional. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And, uh, I think that's definitely another album I want to cover on. Love that album. Some great songwriting there. Um, Yeah, something I definitely want to cover. And the final album that I got here, I'm wrapped, I've picked up actually a couple of albums by this group secondhand. It's a a group that we spoke about on uh, the earlier episode where we're talking about our favorite instrumental bands. And I'm talking about Melbourne band Silver Ray. Now, I think a few of their albums, all of their albums, I think have been out of print for some time. And I only ever had their first one called This Is Silver Ray. But I managed to pick up in a second-hand shop uh, a couple of their albums. Uh, one called "New Love" and the other one called "Humans." Now, "New Love," the the tune uh, "New Love" was the one that got Melbourne audiences interested in them in the first place because they sent like a demo of the tune to Triple R and PBS and probably all the other public radio stations around the country. And for a 15-minute track, it was incredible how the public radio stations would play this tune. Over and over again, as if it was like a, you know, a two or three minute tune that a commercial radio station would play. But it was just so damn gorgeous that. The radio stations took it to their hearts and the listeners took it to their hearts. And, you know, contrary bastards that they were, when they put out the first album, the tune New Love didn't appear on it because I think I heard in an interview with Julitha Ryan, who is the keyboard player in the band, that they were so over that tune. But I think the public must have spoken out and said, look, you know, get over it, just release it officially. And they put it out on their second album. They named the album New Love and re recorded it. Uh, with, uh, I think, a bit of a horn section as well, which I didn't on the original demo. And this time it's been extended to 17 and a half minutes. But, you know, I wouldn't take away a single minute of it. It's a gorgeous track. And the whole album, it's only uh, four tracks on the whole album, but every track's a long one. I think, you know, uh, eight minutes is the shortest track. So, uh, but yeah, Silver Ray, New Love. Um, If you can find any of their music on YouTube, I'd urge you to have a listen that way. Uh, But I really think that uh, their albums are out of print, um, which more is a shame because uh, they're fantastic. And you interviewed the guitarist Cam Butler in uh, in your bar in Adelaide.
4: Fascinating guy, and I I didn't know a lot about him when I when I had a chat with him because um, yeah, the 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 band his previous work had sort of passed me by. But he was he was sort of promoting and touring a, a solo album, which was just it was just him and a percussionist. Really mm-hmm.
0: interesting
3: stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, well, uh, I think what we might do now is uh, go ahead and um, launch in the next couple of minutes into the interview that I did about a week ago with Mick Peeling of uh, Stars. And it probably should point out this time that um, maybe especially for the overseas listeners, I believe that there's another band called Stars. Now, you were saying... I think a week ago, to me, that there's a stars, a Canadian stars band
4: that ends with a Z. I'm not sure if they're Canadian. they oh. I, I think they're actually from the United States. But yes, stars okay. with a Z, right? And a great band. They, um, they're, they're still going in the United States. They have a great album called um, Attention Shoppers from from the left. <laughs> okay. Great record, and they've great sense of humor. They're very how would I a little bit like you know we both love the tubes, and they're mm. they're not. Sort of down that path, but certainly not, you know, as as over, off the wall of theatrical. But but sort of stadiumy rock. But a, a yeah. quite an interesting band, and I only discovered them in the, in latter years after they'd sort of their heyday in the seventies. They were a huge band in the United States, family.
3: Right. Okay. Well, so I should point out this is not that stars. This is the Australian band stars. Um, if you uh, uh, people outside of Australia haven't heard of our band stars, and you know, chances are you possibly haven't. Um you're in for a treat, sit back, uh, listen to the discussion with Mick Peeling. Before we get into that discussion with Mick, I've um, got a, uh, a tune of Stars to play for you, which was, I think, the first single that they ever released. We don't actually talk about it in the conversation, and it doesn't really pop up. It won't pop up, I don't think, unless Michael wants to bring it up, in our discussions about their two studio albums, because it was uh, independent of those and was um, recorded and released before their main songwriter, Andrew Durant, joined the band but it's a great little tune it's called quick on the draw so we'll go to that and then come straight back with uh my interview with mick peeling and afterwards uh michael and i will uh, go into our discussion about the two stars album paradise and land of fortune so you're all listening to love that album with michael and morris we'll be back shortly
2: People got nothing
0: Desculpa
3: Welcome back to episode 25 of Love That Album, the album discussion podcast. Later on the show, Michael Persh and I will be discussing the two albums released by uh, Adelaide rock band S.T.A.R.S. from the late 70s, and at the moment, though, I'm very happy and excited to be having with me uh, Mick Peeling, the lead singer of S.T.A.R.S. uh, to uh, discuss his memories of those two great albums.
1: Good afternoon, Mick. Afternoon, Morris.
3: Um, so Mick, Stars originally formed in Adelaide, although came to Melbourne later on. What was the Adelaide scene like back in uh, the mid '70s, as you remember it?
1: The Adelaide scene was it was it was quite vibrant. There were a lot, a lot of bands playing, and a lot of the um, national acts would come to Adelaide. Um, we were like um, um, sixteen, seventeen around about the time we started getting together, you know, with the members of Stars, and we'd be going out and seeing bands like. Um, uh, I suppose, the Massifters and the Zoot and mm. um, um, the Twilights and bands like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, um, I, I pretty much fell into it by mistake, really. I mean, uh, uh, all the other guys were sort of working together in in, in little bands. So I, I think uh, Mal and the drummer Glim Dowding were in a band called Astrakhan at the time who we were getting a bit of work and... Um, before that band actually got together, both of them used to work in, not work, but sort of get together and sort of play in this front yard of this um, this house down, in, down at Seacliff Beach, and we all lived in that area.
0: Mm.
1: And I remember being in the audience um, when they were up playing, and um, they didn't have a singer as such, and I remember... Um, one of them said over the microphone, there's anybody in the other right now, which was a pretty big song at the time. That was around about 1970. Yeah. And uh, I said to my mate, who I was sitting next to, <laughs> I know that one, and he stood up and he <laughs> So they got me up and um, and I sang the song with them, you know, with my back to the audience. I was scared shitless. <coughs> and um, I guess I did a good job because they asked me to, um, you know, join them basically, mm-hmm. you know.
3: So, so this was this was Astrakhan, wasn't
1: it? Uh, I don't think they were called Astrakhan at that time because we didn't actually get together after after that little incident. Uh, I, I actually went off and joined another band, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you know we, we sort of all knew of each other and, and stuff. And the, uh, the band I was in, which was called Nantucket, um, fell apart, and uh, then the guys in Astrakhan asked me to join uh, officially after that war. Well, and then we changed our name to the Stars. Yep. Okay. Um, I remember. Does that make sense?
3: Yes, plenty. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, listening uh, back in 1980. I will come back to this in further detail. But when um, EON FM, as they were called at the time in mm. Melbourne, were doing the uh, simulcast uh, with uh, the television um, doing the Andy Derrent Memorial Concert, they yep. mentioned that. Um, uh, and, you know, a little bit about Andy's history. And it said that Andy had joined some band that was influenced by King Crimson, and I thought to myself, wow, that was... Do you recall anything about that? Was that any band that you were associated with?
1: <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't. Um, or were they just
3: taken creative licence?
1: Uh, they, they mentioned that before he joined yeah, Stars? Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, sometime
3: yeah. sometime before Stars, I was yeah. thinking, I oh, I wonder if this was... Know, part of your in you know star's circle or the same group he,
1: he was as I recall more into a, a kind of a prop
3: kind of thing that's quite a leap and especially considering how he became yeah, star's songwriter and he sort of well, exactly. into that but at, right at thing.
1: the same time he, he was into um, bands like the band and um, the birds yeah. and people like that so hmm. he wasn't you know totally into you know bands like you know, King Crimson and stuff like that but it was but it was also part of what made me realize, I suppose. Mm.
3: So I guess, well, that leads nicely to where I was going to go next with this was... Um, uh, so, okay, you've already gone and mentioned bands like The Band and mm. The Birds. I mean, was that uh, a conscious decision that you wanted to uh, uh, do that sort of thing, you know, to do that, what we now call Americana?
1: Well, when Stars first started, the, we were only a four-piece. Yep. Uh, Malie Stick, uh, Glenn Downing, myself, and, uh, and Graham Thompson. And uh, for quite a while, we, we were doing basically free covers. You could say we were a free free tribute band, <laughs> and uh, the, the band virtually, you know, cut their teeth on, on that on that style of music. And we knew of Andy specifically, you know, the drummer Glenn Dowdy. Mm. Uh, they well, you know, cut the doors away from each other, yeah. and we knew that he was a songwriter, and that's what we wanted to do. We, we wanted to do our own music. Mm. And, but None of us, we, we were writing songs, but uh, we knew that Andy was a really, really good songwriter. So uh, it didn't happen straight away because uh, Stars went to, um, you know, went to Melbourne as a four-piece initially, mm-hmm. and we had uh, a couple of songs like Quick on the Draw and Winning Hand.
3: I remember seeing
1: Quick on the Draw being performed yeah. on TV. At That's time. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we were a four-piece at that time, but we wanted to, um, we wanted to sort of move on from that, sort of get away from that. Pop sort of thing that we were doing at the time, mm. which we were kind of pushed into in a way by our management at the time. And we, we were just young guys, you know. So um, if if our management told us this is what you've got to do to sort of um, make it mm. you know, over east, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you've got to be more kind of a pop band to make it. So we we, we followed that, <clears throat> and um, but got sick of it fairly quickly, and. Uh, so we called on Andy. See if he was interested in uh, joining us, and we, we you know, we'd had a name by that time. We, we were quite big, mm. and uh, I mean that's not the reason why Andy joined us, but uh, yes. he was interested. He, he could see something there, so he said, "Yes, he'd give it a go." And, and straight away, he gave us songs like uh, you know, Mighty Rock" and uh, mm. "Look, Look After Yourself," yep. and, and songs like that. So. At that time, I'd say he was more into the, the country rock the, the side of things. Mm.
3: So, when you got signed to Mushroom Records, was Michael Gudinski or whoever it was that actually signed you at Mushroom uh, interested in the um, the songwriter type of band? I mean, because obviously, the, you know, there were there were bands at the time like uh, you know, Skyhooks and Sherbet, which were dominating. Yeah. the... Um, uh, the pop scene, and nothing to take away from, say, like Greg McKeach, but they sold themselves on their their image, how they looked, and yeah. uh, this particular type of thing, whereas stars came along and said, well, we're not like that, we're not trying to appeal ourselves to the young teenage girls that are trying to rip Daryl Braithwaite's clothes off. We're, you know, we're presenting the songs, and they'll sell on their own strength. Yeah, so
1: we, 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 we actually were part of that scene for a while when mm-hmm. we first started, mm-hmm. but we did, fortunately, move away from that. But um, uh, Gidinski, um signed us up um, on the word of B. Birdles. Um, we um, we used to support a lot of the bands that used to come to um, Adelaide, specifically a place called Countdown in Hindley Street in Adelaide. Funny enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we used to support Little River Band every time they, they came to town. And, oh. and um, uh, B. Birdles and Rick Formosa, the guitar player. I took a shine in the band and uh, uh, Bede wrote us a couple of songs and and, and, uh, and, and talked Michael to him to have a listen and uh, seeing he was interested in um, signing us up and uh, he saw something that made him want to sign us up. Hmm. okay. Um, now, uh, uh, okay, so you... Oh, okay. Oh, oh. I recall um,
3: hearing Quick on the Draw yep. and... Mighty Rock, for that matter, yeah. when it came out on uh, 3XY, that was 1976, 1977 or thereabouts. Yep, um, so did those singles create lots of interest in the band and for Paradise? Uh, you, you said that you know, you, when, by the time Andy joined, you already had something of a name, but that was obviously prior to uh, recording. But uh, were you... Uh, uh, more renowned for yourself as a live outfit, or did the did the albums really sell it for you? The singles sell it for you.
1: Um, well, as I as I said initially, we were kind of put into that pop bracket, mm-hmm. you know? um, and uh, the songs were more. Um, even though before Andy joined, I mean, we had this sort of cowboy sort of image. So, Quick on the Draw was pre-Andy, wasn't it? That was pre-Andy. Okay along with Winning Hand, those, those yep. two singles. And um, uh, once again, it, it was sort of uh, um, put on us by the management who said we had to have an image if we wanted to make it. and Being naive, as I said, we, we, uh, we sort of went along with it and sort of had this kind of cowboy image. Um, but funnily enough, it, it's... You <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, still going. Funnily enough, it kind of fit in because of the style of music uh, went into after Andy joined the band. And mm. um, um, can't remember exactly where we were on this, but, uh, uh, about
3: the about what propelled the band's success was it more based on the songs or,
1: uh, look, or, or yeah, the live
3: performances? For or, me, it's or?
1: really hard to say because at the time we were, I know we were, we were pretty good live because. Uh, We'd sort of, uh, before we moved to Melbourne, we had a lot of gigs under our belt for <coughs> in Adelaide, you know, six, five, six nights a week, you know, for quite a spell. And, uh, and you know, we, we could sort of rock out with the best of them. Uh, but there, there was something missing, uh, as I said, I and mean, <coughs> we just needed that uh, prolific songwriter to take us to, to mm. another level. Because Mel and I wrote Quick on the Draw and In Hand. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the best we could do at the time, yep. and, and we knew that wasn't going to sort of uh, make a good album. You know? Yep, we just needed something more to make a good album, and we knew that Andy was writing these good little songs. So. And um, and it was him joining the band that gave us the um, you know the, the, the courage to uh, put a, put a full album out there. So, but looking back, it, it's hard to know what. Uh, had in in store for us when they signed us up Mm. because this band really didn't have many songs, many original songs so it's really hard to know what he saw in us
0: Mm.
1: but then again back then I guess um, um, it wasn't unusual for the record companies to sign up bands and sort of nurture them until they
3: very different story nowadays
1: so the
3: final album that you guys put I've, I've neglected to mention until now this is the live album 1157. Yeah. And that album has, you know, a, a very strong indication obviously as to how you guys, you know, could sound in front of a live audience and it's a lot of a tougher sound. So coming back to Paradise where you first started. Yeah. Um it's it's a very uh, smooth sounding record, very gentle sounding record. I mean even mighty rock. Yeah. Uh, doesn't sound like the full power and force that it does when you did it live. Um, I mean, well, it wasn't 1157, but while you hear in the Andy Grant Memorial concert. Um, were you guys satisfied with how Paradise ended up getting produced? Was that the sound that you wanted?
1: Um, I mean, look, looking back, we would have preferred something a little bit rawer, but, um, but at the time, you know, we were happy to be, happy to be in the studio. Mm-hmm. You know, we were being produced by... People like B. Burles and Wood from Rosa and uh, uh, we were just happy to be there. So, uh, and actually, when you look look at the names who were involved in the band, it was people from the River Band, who mm-hmm. were renowned for a smooth yes. sort of sound. You know, yeah. so uh, that had a, lot, had a lot to do with it as well. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, just just our lack lack of uh, experience in the studio probably had a lot to do with it.
3: By the time we got to Land of Fortune, that sounded a lot. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say tougher, but it had uh, some of that sheen, it, it sounded. Um, That's right. I mean, more, more, uh, more. I don't know, authentic, raw, Australian, whatever. Yeah. What it, um, then, because pa- Paradise sounds to me like, um, you know, songwriting aside, but the production sounds like it was an American production, and, and Land of Fortune definitely sounds like an Australian production. If that makes any sort of sense.
1: Oh sure, yeah. Um, probably also, uh, Land of Fortune was. Um, uh, in- the lyrics and the songs are more sort of Australian history and whatever. Mm. It is a very Australian album. with songs about you know gold rush and all those kind of songs. Yes. Um, but yeah, we, I mean we had a lot more gigs under our belt at that time, so I think um, a lot more of Land of Fortune was recorded live in the studio rather than um, you know Paradise, which was built up from you know the section and then adding
3: things to it okay yeah. all right okay that makes a lot of sense mm.
1: so what do you recall about
3: um about the recording sessions for paradise i mean were they besides you know the the layered approach um uh i guess, I guess it's not so much about a, a question about the recording but was it a lot of um uh, collaborative work between the band about arrangements did andy come in and say this is the way I want it, this is how it's going to sound, or
1: did he not just, like, he's the all. bare bones? No, no, I mean, it, the songs would start off as um, you know, little acoustic things that are only written, yep. and then um, uh, Mal would get together with him and, and they'd sort of um, you know, put the songs together. The rest of us didn't have a whole lot to do with uh, anything else apart from our own parts. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, I, I was given the melody, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and then I could play along with it a little bit. Mm. But um, you didn't really have to. I mean, the songs were already there. Mm. They were already fully formed when, when Andy wrote them, yeah. them. Mal spent a long time on, it, on his guitars, on his guitar solos and everything.
3: It shows. It's, it's fantastic.
0: <laughs> and it yeah, I mean,
1: I mean, they're great. But uh, to me, um, uh, recording a guitar solo in 20. Twenty-five times is probably probably a bit too much. So, is that did that happen? Pretty anyway? much. I mean, he's. Uh, I mean, the, the product always ends up sounding great, but um, I don't know. I, I can't help but think, well, maybe, maybe the fifth take was probably the best. You know what I mean?
3: <laughs> um, now I, I might just ask a couple of questions about you know individual songs that, um, that I've really taken to. Uh, Probably one of the, I'd say the centerpiece for me on Paradise is West Is The Way. Mm. That sounds unlike absolutely anything else on the recording. There's a string section, Mm. um, Andy's vocals on that. But um, did he come along with this song saying, I really fancy a string section, or did B. Bertels, Mm
1: -hmm. how did that work? That would probably be more from the production people. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I wish I could tell you more about um, how it came to be, but um, as I said, I mean, I, I was really on there for, for my okay. parts of the songs.
3: Do you know whether Andy was happy with that?
1: I think he was, yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful sounding song, that one, and I, and I think uh, the way it was recorded really suits, uh, suits the song. Mm. But, I mean, you can really hear the, oh. um, the LRB. So sort of sounds in, in that one in particular, of, uh, yeah. Production wise, yeah, definitely.
3: Yeah. Um, <coughs> now another thing that um, I find interesting is a common theme amongst a lot of Andy's songs from both both albums, right. and even uh, a couple of the songs that made it into the memorial concert but weren't on either of those two albums. Mm-hmm. He seems to have a strong affinity for for traveling or for being anywhere apart from where he is so you know, you know back again he's singing about well i've been traveling around but you know here i am back now but you get the impression he's going to be going off somewhere mm. paradise is i don't want to be this nine to five i want to be somewhere more ideal um uh, last of the River Boats is you know his um ode as i see it to you know life has just gotten so crazy i want to travel to a sim- uh, to a simpler time um mm. And you know there are other examples there, but it seems to be a common common theme. Was that just? Do you know if that was Andy taking creative license, or was he a restless spirit? How do you how do you see that? Was that something you ever talking about?
1: Um, it was. I mean, I don't know much about his family life or anything like that, but um, he always always loved travelling. You know, he's a, uh, always a bit of a hobo. Mm. He always um, had uh, pretty much. Um, what he owned on his back, kind of thing. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think what you said is is um, is pretty close to the truth. I mean, um, um, he wasn't specifically writing these songs just because everyone was expecting him to write songs, you know, like that. But he um, um, was a bit like Greg McCunch, in a way. He he wanted he wanted, um, he wanted it to be Australian. Mm-hmm. Sure, and he wanted to, to mention Australian places rather than, you know, in
3: Arkansas or whatever. Well, you're mentioning a Chuka. I don't think I've heard another song since go, it is yeah. <laughs> it's mentioned there. Yeah. Um, now, I guess, you know, if it's, we speak a little bit about the events that uh, led up to um, the memorial concert now, it seemed to me... Uh, okay, so I should probably qualify for you listeners out there outside Australia. Um, Andy Durant. The uh, uh, main songwriter of um, of uh, stars had developed it was it was bone cancer, wasn't it?
1: No, it was um, oh. it was a melanoma. melanoma. Yeah, so skin cancer, and um, he sort of um, he knew about it for quite a while, but wouldn't do anything about it. Yeah, he sort of he had an inkling of what it was, but um, didn't go to the doctors until it was you know basically too late.
3: Things have not changed that much, haven't yeah, they?
1: That's right. I mean, it's uh, it's the, the, the men and doctors kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Men don't, don't, you know, they don't <laughs> want to admit that there's something wrong with them. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> but from it, it seems that, as far in my living memory, that uh, like, you know, from from the eighties onwards, especially with um, Live Aid and the like, uh, that well, not tribute concerts, but you know, concerts to raise money for mm. for causes became a you know, very common pastime. But yeah. it seemed like what when this was done, very little of this had been done before. Certainly not in Australia.
1: I believe it was one of the first shows of this type. Australia. how easy was that to put together? Um, well, it's uh, <laughs> it's it sort of it fell into place fairly quickly. I mean, it, the idea came about. Um, no more than a, a couple of months before it actually came together. Mm. And everybody, I mean, it, everyone liked uh, Andy a lot, so a lot of people wanted to sort of be part of it. Mm. Uh, uh, the local company, uh, uh, the producers, mm. uh, um, the, the, you know, the TV people, the people who filmed it, whatever, they all offered their services immediately. Mm. I mean, it was all going to a great cause too, the P. McCullum mm. the Cancer Clinic.
3: Is that still a perpetual fund? Is that still sort yeah. of going? Yeah.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, Mal was uh, probably behind, um, you know, mainly sort of getting everything together, getting one together kind of thing, and, uh, and uh, asking people if they wanted to be involved, like um, Andy's favourite people, you know, like Richard Clapton mm-hmm. and Roger Smith and... Um, uh, Renee Geyer and Cole Chisel and... Um, and was the,
0: certainly the crew of the Australian yeah, rock at the time.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the Reverend on, uh, on organ and yeah. people like... Uh, 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 Gly Mason. who hmm. almost joint stars by the way. Okay. Yeah, we um, we saw when Andy got too ill. We we, we, uh, we worked with Mick Elliott for a while from um, that great Perth band. Um, Oh, we'll come back to that <laughs> I'll, I'll think of a name of them. But uh, they're like brothers, they were almost right. like Australia's Almond Brothers. Sid Rumpo. Oh, okay. Sid yeah. Rumpo. And Michalette was from that band. And he played with us for a while. And then we, um, we talked uh, for a while about getting a replacement for Andy and sort of continuing on. And uh, Glenn Mason uh, came up and we actually got together and, and uh, did a few rehearsals with Glenn. But I think uh, what happened was uh, Broderick Smith asked Mal to join. The big combo. The big combo. And,
3: uh, now, Andy had written some songs with Brod for that album, hadn't he? Pretty sure.
1: You know, I'm not real sure about that. I know he was writing stuff with Richard Clapton. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of those songs are on, uh, uh, on uh, Richard's album, uh, Dark Something? Dark, Space? Dark Spaces. Dark Spaces, yeah. Spaces, yep, yeah. Yep. And I think. Uh, I think that collaboration was going, going you know, sort of going to continue, but um, where the hell were we? About <laughs> uh, how, how the uh, memorial concert got put yeah, together? Yeah, yeah. yeah, As I said, Mao was um, you know the, the main sort of person behind all that, and um, uh, when all the singers got into into the room, I, I was sort of um, in charge of um, you know, who was singing what, what harmony, mm. and, uh, as much as you could be with those kind of people. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, uh, just
3: uh, my question is: a from the singer's perspective, mm. how did it feel hearing other people sing the songs that you'd made? Uh, um, you know, your life for the last three, four years.
1: Oh, it was wonderful. You know? I mean, those guys were my favourite singers. I mean, people like, um, I mean, Jim ba- Jim Barnes back then was a great, great singer. Mm. And we won't go any further on that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And Renee Gayer, of course, who's yeah. who one of my main influences, I must say.
3: I have um, a little little thing as this. She was my partner when I was on Quiz. Oh, really? I, I, I was a punter, pulled out of the audience, got on. She yeah, was my. Right.
1: She was. Oh, she was our captain. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, a lot of times, even now, in fact, I, I, when I'm learning a new song or whatever, I, I always think I say, oh, you to myself, "What would Renee do?" Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, how did I feel about them singing the songs? Great, mm. you know, I mean uh, they all did wonderful jobs, and uh, Richard Clapton did a fantastic job of Mr. Uh, bystanders mm, and mm. A beautiful job. Um, but you know, I mean at the same time, they they also made those songs that they sang their own as well. You know, they Gene put his Barnseyisms in in the Glass of the River Boats, so yeah, and Renee yeah. put her Reneeisms in Paradise.
3: I'm saying a couple of wrong words. <laughs>
1: That's all right.
3: I remember. Um, I think I've seen on on uh, YouTube some. I don't know how recent it is, but it looks like the last few years. Uh, Broad's still doing Ocean Deep as, yeah. as part of his sets, and uh, I'd, I'd be interested to have heard how Stars would have done it. But you know, on on here it seems absolutely perfect, and Broad completely owns it.
1: We, we actually never played it live. We we rehearsed it. Yeah. But uh, never got around playing with Lara so I think at the time it wasn't quite finished. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it never saw the light of day until um, obviously Mal kept it uh, uh, not hidden, but he sort of uh, he, he kept the original demo or whatever, and uh, brought it up again with uh, with Brian.
3: So were, were songs like Ocean Deep and Solitaire written when Andy already knew that he that he had
1: cancer. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can hear that in the words. Yes, Yeah. Yes. But they were, the, both those songs, um, uh, Stars never go around to a plan. Um, you know, you know, but they were sort of later songs, mm-hmm. yeah. But, um, yeah, beautiful song. Solitaire is just a just a wonderful song. I've, I've never done that before, but I'd, I'd, I'd love to do a version of that at some, some stage. Even though um, Mossy's definitive version, I suppose, <laughs> not, you know, unfortunately. Does he do it? I don't think so,
3: because no. No. if you um, listen to any live footage or look at their recorded output in a, a recorded output, um, which is all you know, it, it, there are like at least half a dozen songs either Walker originals mm. or covers where it's just Don Walker at the piano, mm. Mossy singing and a little bit of tasteful guitar.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Solitaire was right up there alley. It was yeah. was kind of like it was almost like a jazzy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Which um, which Ian and Don uh, sort of exemplified live uh, songs they did like, um,
3: um, "Crying the River." Like they do live in Georgia. Yeah,
1: yeah. well, that's right. Yeah, a, a similar sort of style, that sort of torchy, yep. uh, jazz blues kind of thing. Yes, and that particular song was perfect for them. Mm. Yeah. and uh, I mean, you know, putting the whole whole thing together was uh, it happened really quickly. Um the rehearsal of the band, I think I think we did um it must have been one afternoon of rehearsal. So it was up to everybody to have all their parts done. Yeah. And I remember at the sound check uh, that afternoon I was and I looked at each other and said, This is gonna be awful uh, it just wasn't sounding very together at the sound check. But when the curtains opened it um it, uh, it happened, and everyone remembered everything. And it, um, but the
3: musicians' creed is in a shit rehearsal, fantastic gig. That's <laughs> that's the way, isn't it?
1: I've never heard that.
3: You haven't. <laughs> Any band I've ever been in, that's yeah. that's been the way we
1: that's been the way we work. Well, look, I, I, I wish we had a scene at, uh, that way at, uh, at the soundcheck. Uh, well, we,
3: we, we had.
1: We were pretty sure it, it was it was going to be uh, a bit shabby. I didn't another you know one. No, it
3: came out oh. with this absolutely fantastic album.
1: Yeah. So,
3: I want to ask you know, it's still stars related, but your um, uh, latest uh, um, endeavor is uh, you've gotten together with a band called the Prairie Oysters mm. to um, cover Andy's songs. Now, is this the first time that you're doing any of the stars' songs or anything Andy's written
1: I've, in? I've been doing. Um, um, for the last, I suppose, five years or so, I've been doing a few star songs mm-hmm. in my act. I, I do Look After Yourself and um, The Last of the River Boats and Mighty Rock. Mm. I've been doing them for quite a while now. And um, uh, I've always had it in the back of my mind that I'd like to maybe go out and do do the songs. Um, I've spoken to I've spoken Mal about it in the past, but... Um, He's a kind of guy who sort of doesn't really want to sort of look back. He's uh, he's well entrenched in, in the boys' scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know. There might be a day where we might, uh, might do it together, but um, I don't know. I was. It's always been in the back of my mind to to do more with the songs, and uh, I, I did this thing recently. It was a, um, a charity do at the Hallam Hotel that the Prairie Oysters put together, mm-hmm. and. Um, they asked if I'd sing a few songs with them the star songs. Mm. And uh, we chose three songs, which uh, are the songs that I've been performing for the last few years. And uh, as we were doing them, we didn't have a rehearsal or anything. I just hope to God that they knew it. it. (laughs) And uh, and they did, but they just linked the songs right to a T. And I got up there, and as we were doing the songs, I was thinking, hmm, uh, this... uh, this could be interesting, you know. Yeah. So uh, I approached them about doing a show and they uh, are all into it straight away. Mm. And, uh, that's pretty much how it started, almost by accident. Yeah.
3: So you've already done one show here in Melbourne at the Caravan Club. Yeah,
1: did one at the start of June.
3: Right, so what's uh, the future present for uh, yourself and the prairie oysters?
1: Well, we're going to do, um, well, because the first one was so successful, it sold out like, in two weeks, which... Uh, <laughs> made me realise that uh, there is uh, there are people interested in hearing these songs again. Um, so um, yeah, that's sold out, so um, we've uh, organised to do another one in October, on the 6th of October, which is the first Saturday in October. And we announced it a couple of days ago and um, the thing's almost sold out, you know. So <laughs> um, uh, so, we're probably going to do another one. Probably going to do two in, in that weekend.
3: So, the 6th of October one is once again at the Caravan, is it? Or? Yep, at the Caravan Club. And planning on touring the show?
1: Uh, we've had a lot of interest from uh, interstate, yes. Yeah, so, uh, we're looking at, uh, at doing something real so.
0: Mm, Fantastic. Mm.
1: And also, I didn't mention before, um, uh, Broderick's also appearing on the show with us on the 6th of all in October. Nice. Yeah,
3: to do uh, Ocean Deep, I presume.
1: Well, he's, he's going to, well, obviously, yeah, and uh, Jupiter Creek. Oh, of, course. of course, yes, yeah. yes And um, he's going to open the show. He's going to do a, a set with a keyboard player friend of his. Yep. And then he'll get up later on and do a couple of songs with us.
3: If you're in Melbourne listening to this, go onto the Caravan <laughs> website and book now. Um, if you're interstate, book an airline ticket into Melbourne, or, or at least you know, check on the Mix website and uh, get to see uh, get to see one of these shows. It'll be fantastic to hear those great stars' songs played live again. Um, you must have had times where you wanted to look behind you and just check that it wasn't you know Mel and Andy <laughs> back there with you, if they were that authentic about
1: it.
2: Yeah. Well. Um...
1: I, I guess that did cross my mind a couple of times. You know, mm. uh, you know, so uh, it was so long ago now. You know, a, um, a lot of the uh, uh, situations uh, kind of really vague memories. You know, like we're talking thirty years ago. Mm. You know? uh, I mean, I, I, I've obviously got things like um, you know the life at Bombay Rock, and, 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 you know, things like that to remind me of what yes. it was like. Yes. You know, we were young, 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 and uh, the three years we were together just uh, seemed to go past so quickly. Right? Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, final question, legacy. Have you had any um, bands or other singers approach you and say, you know, man, there are, you know, stars are a huge influence on the way we do things? Or
1: um, With the music, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I pretty much get it all the time. You know, I, I get a lot of... Um, uh, emails and such, you know, mm. and, on the social media and all that kind of thing. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, that, I mean, that pleases me greatly. Mm. I don't know how to react to a lot of it, but <laughs>
3: put on a show. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all right, look, thank you so much for taking the
3: time out to uh, discuss stars and the albums and the memorial concert. Really, really appreciated it, Nick oh, It's a pleasure, Morris. Excellent. Okay, uh, we'll be back in just a minute with Love That Album. Uh,
4: man the American dream dust the road is I'm coming to you live in a living color speak to you the American people a podcast called Silver Gold Daddy. you know that's the American dream dust the roads knows how to bring home the gold daddy and just like Henry Silver, Sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow hanging from the ceiling. Silver and gold will stick it to you. Stick it to your ears. Stick it to your mouth. Your eyes. Your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's caucus hanging from the ceiling, daddy.
0: Silver and gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com.
3: Welcome back to Love That Album. Morris Bistinsky here, Michael Persh over there. You're listening to episode 25, and the focus of this episode is the Australian group of the late 70s, Stars and their two studio albums, Paradise. And Land of Fortune, you just heard the great conversation I had with Mick Peeling, a lovely fellow, and I was really very honoured that he uh, was able to see fit to come and talk with me about those two great landmark albums. Michael, what's your first memories of actually hearing Stars?
4: Actually, uh, and you played Quick on the Draw Mm. before your chat, and uh, I I distinctly remember hearing that, that tune on the radio, and about that time, stars played a lunchtime concert at my high school and it was <laughs>
3: fantastic how cool was that so, <laughs> so I... that
4: so that's when they were a four piece and and not really not really well known in you know in, you know i was i think it was probably in maybe year eight so i was you know i was like 13 and and not a well-known band though so they were really a, they they were known in adelaide as a cover band. okay um but um, yeah, their first single. A
3: free, a free cover band.
4: Yeah, indeed, mm. and and, and uh, if if anyone saw Stars, or or uh, or Mick Peeling's band that he has over recent years with uh, with great guitar player Bob Spencer, they do they do a lot of old English uh, stuff, you know, the Who and, and Bad Company, and a lot of free. And I haven't seen them. I've seen YouTube clips of them, and and. Uh, Mick Peeling has got a, He's he's got uh, he's got Paul Rogers down pat. He does uh, does free songs nearly as good as the real thing.
3: Oh, the man has golden tonsils. That's for sure.
4: Indeed. So yes, yeah, so I you know I, I I fell in love with stars from day one, and, and they were uh, they, they played in my school hall at a, at a lunchtime, and and as you I guess you know any school back in the in the seventies was it was just a you know a brick a square. <laughs> and the, you know, it was so loud, and, and Mal Eastlick had just, you know, cranked up to 11. And it was just, you know, the, me and my mates were up the front, and we had, we loved every second of it. Yeah, yeah.
3: So, who was the main radio station? Oh, sorry, who? What was the main radio station in Adelaide that was that, promoting?
4: Well, 5KA was sort of the rock and roll station back back in those days, which which sort of...
3: Were they like a, a, a sister station, of 3XY? Doing yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. cuz like i i guess the Adelaide equivalent yeah here in here in melbourne 3xy did all those sorts of shows and there are many stories and i am sure the overseas listeners will find this incredible to believe um uh, but uh you know 3xy used to sponsor ACDC to come play at the local high schools here in Melbourne, and you know, no doubt the three X Y sister stations interstate did similar. But uh, you know, before they ruled the world, they were just you know ruling Australia, and they used to do a lot of these uh, shows at um, at uh, high schools.
4: Yeah, great stuff. Mm. And the the most enduring memory I have of that of that show was was Eastick playing a talk box, because oh, I, yeah. you know I'd only I'd only heard. You know, probably Joe Walsh was the only person I'd ever heard play one. And to see what about someone, Peter Frampton? Well, well, Frampton sort of you know, it, Frampton Comes Alive had, had, I think, just come out and really hadn't taken off. This this would have been very early '76, from memory. And yeah, I, I really only knew Joe Walsh. And to see some guy play a talk box, and at least it can play a talk box as good as <laughs> it And That's... it was just, you know, my jaw was on the ground. It was just, yeah, um, a. Uh, A life-changing moment indeed.
3: An epiphany. Indeed. Mm. (laughs) All right, well, let's get into talking about the first album, uh, Paradise, and we'll start off, well, right at the beginning. We'll talk about the first track, the opening track on the album. is called Back Again. Now I think it's—I don't know whether you agree with me or not—but I think it's a really unusual title of a song for you know, to be the first song on a band's debut album. Back again, um, you know, you've you've not been anywhere. <laughs> they're, they're a new outfit to the general public, and they're proclaiming to the world that they've returned. When what they should really have called the song was "We're New," "We're Here and Now." Of course, the song isn't about that, but it's. Probably, I think it's you know maybe they had a cheeky sense of humour, and it's no accident that this song is on side one uh, and it's track one.
4: I'd I never really thought about that, mate. I, it was.
3: I've got too much time on my hands.
4: <laughs> it, it is such a, <laughs> a great sort of opening tune, though. It's it's and, and live, it was it was such a strong song, and um, yeah, I hope that's in the repertoire that, that Mick Peeling is doing. Uh, Doing at the moment because uh, yeah, it just live. It just took on a life of its own. I remember, and it's it reminds me of sort of a, a cross between the dingoes, maybe, and and the band, and but what an Australian is sort of about their sound. And and back back again is is a an example of you know the classic stars sound that that really started with with that first song on Paradise, and and went through everything they they did. After that, mm.
3: look. I'm. I think as a calling card, I wanted to make the point uh, that because um, we'll get into this probably a fair bit more with you know further examples than uh, uh, throughout the show. But there's a great distinction between the sound on Paradise, which is a fairly uh, clean, slick sort of sound, and back again. Uh, I guess on the album, I mean, it's, the songwriting is great and the, and the musicianship is fantastic, but um, the, you're really waiting for them to kick out. And until, I guess, Mal Eastick comes out with that uh, great guitar solo, it sounds like they're very restrained and it's very slick. But when they finally get to their second album, uh, Land of Fortune, it... It still probably isn't quite up to the um the rawness that they exhibited as a live band but it's certainly um far less polished uh and i mean that probably in a good way but that's not to take anything away from paradise uh as an album in terms of songwriting and musicianship because it was all top-notch
4: yeah it's interesting you say that and and stars are one of the bands where i, I you know i love their recordings but they were very different to the band live you' you you're you really yeah that's really an interesting observation because they were such a, a hard edge band live.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, look, one thing. So uh, about this song, back again. Uh, Andy Durant, who was by the time of this album, he joined the band. He wasn't on that initial single that we played, Quick on the Draw, but he joined the band. And as I spoke about with uh, Mick, um, he really liked writing a lot about. A, a, a group of themes that you know close to his heart um being in small towns and you know, his discomfort with big city life and basically being on the road he liked traveling and you know I, I asked Mick you know was this something that Andy liked to do and he said yeah definitely he was a wanderer at heart um uh, and when you listen to um uh I think there's a song which I don't think a He's on either of these albums, but they recorded at the Andy Durant Memorial Concert. We'll talk more about that later. Called Jive Town, and I get the impression that he was never really that keen on his hometown of Adelaide. And he did, like you know, like Paul Kelly um, wrote a rather you know disparaging song of uh, the hometown. It's it's a wonder that maybe that um, Mick would ever be allowed back into his hometown. Uh,
4: and we meant, we sort of alluded to this earlier, mate. And and Jive Town is indeed about um about how adelaide never really gave stars the um you know there was i don't know if respect is the right word but you know they didn't get the accolade when they came home to adelaide that you know that they really they, they should have had melbourne was was so good to stars when they moved there and, and they were always you know i, I spoke to some at on my show quite a time back and um yeah, they they were they were absolutely perplexed that you know they they couldn't draw a big crowd in Adelaide, and mm. and Jive Town was, was sort of a, a reaction to that, and 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 it was really you know that's you meant you mentioned Paul Kelly because when I, when I when I started doing my show, I was trying to find a tune about Adelaide that I could use as a theme song, and
3: <laughs> you were never so, going to use that one. And
4: those two <laughs> ones the first ones that popped into your mind, they're not particularly. Flattering, no. No, so I thought. Well, you know, it was it was a bit of a struggle.
3: <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I I could just imagine. Yeah, you playing as your theme. All the king's horses, all the king's men, could not drag me back there again.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and I know Paul Kelly means that in a loving
3: way. Oh yeah, well, say so, I'm I'm sure he's been there back there many times. Um, so yeah, but look, in in this song, I, I, I find it rather interesting. He um, uh, ha- having said that. Andy writes in back again about continuously returning to his hometown after long stints of work, you know, always hard labour. You know, it's, it's a strange song, a strange theme. I think it occurs in a, you know, a lot of songs by, um, uh, by other songwriters. They always sing about uh, doing hard labour. I can't ever recall a song about an accountant or a gynaecologist packing it up to live in a small town, uh, the small town of his youth, but, you know, Andy's doing that here. And there's there's some really nice use of uh, imagery in the lyrics. I love, you know, he sings, uh, or Mick sings, uh, Out on highway number 41 where the land gets dry, There's nothing but rocks and a long hot road Underneath hazy blue skies. There's a place I know where time goes slow, People don't stop there no more, You can sit right down and watch the world Go rolling by your door. And I love it when the lyrics... You listen to the lyrics, and you can picture that in your head. You know, it is—it's not terribly complex, but it's very descriptive, using simple language, and yet, you know, the picture there—you can picture that hot sky. You can almost feel the heat of the sun. Um, and that—that's just one verse. It's a very Australian song. I mean, the whole album—it's a very Australian album.
4: Uh, well, that, thats one thing that that Andy Durant and 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 all of the guys in Stars did very well, and and not in a um you, know, you know, um, I in a, in a very credible way they had there was an Australianness about them that was understated and I, that's you know, that's one of the things I love about the band and and Andy in particular, his songwriting was very Australian, but you know he wasn't he wasn't talking about kangaroos and uh, no, no. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I agree, really yeah, interesting.
3: Well, I think it's become a lot more commonplace to write songs about the Australian experiences. certainly, I think Paul Kelly and Richard Clapton are two artists who've really um, gone and made that quite acceptable to do, as I guess did Midnight Oil. But I think for a time there was some matter of cultural cringe. But, I mean, American songwriters have always written about uh, American hometowns and um, it seemed to be you know, less so, but... In the Australian experience, but then again, maybe my sense of uh, Australian rock history isn't isn't that strong. But it, it seemed that until you know bands like the Dingoes and Stars, and then eventually you know Kelly and Clapton uh, came along, that it became like a, a rather common theme to write about the Australian experience.
4: Well, it was. A, I think it was a time, too, Morris, that you know the 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 mid to late seventies, where you know when when for instance, when you look back at at performances from you know the great Australian bands of the day back in the early Sunbury days, they were all playing covers. So you know th- things by a few years later had really taken a turn. That Australian music, you know, had, had sort of come of age. I think, and you know, bands in Australia were you know could write great tunes and didn't have to rely on on sort of copying other people. All
3: right. Look, before we go off this song, I just wanted to make another couple of quick points. See where what you think. Um, so once again, coming thematically to the lyrics about wanting to, you know, be somewhere a little bit more in, you know, uh, a small town, outdoorsy type of area. I compare this song in a way to a song that came a few years later. Uh, musically, a lot rougher and a lot rawer, but still lyrically, thematically similar. I'm talking about Col Chisels' Bow River. Uh, you know, Ian Moss sings about, you know, just... Uh, walking away from the job, pissing his money against the damn wall. Um, getting He's got a brand new set of tyres, and the next thing he wants to do is just go out to Bow River. And I, I think in the 30-odd years since he recorded that song, I don't think he can get rid of it out of his repertoire. But, uh, I don't know, do you see um, uh, you know, a link between those between Back Again and Bow River, or am I just dreaming that?
4: No, no, I agree, I agree. Mm. And as you said, you know, I'd, and, and I'd... I'd I talked a little bit to, to Mal Eastick about about, you know, the the kind of guy Andy was and, and you obviously did that with Mick and yeah, it seemed to be a, a common thread that, that he did have that sort of um, that sort of longing to be out you know, out and about and on the road about him. And I guess a lot of musicians that's fairly common thing, really isn't.
3: Mm mm-hmm, certainly is. Um and you mentioned Mal Eastick and earlier on you were talking about his talking box. Um that appears on this song, doesn't it?
4: Yes, and and again, just high. And I guess the the thing that, that too, there's this first tune on Paradise, although um, quick on the draw, and the second single, Winning Hand, were such strong guitar songs from Mal Easton. But the the interplay between Mal and Andy guitar-wise, and back again, is a classic example where they work so well together. Andy is a very different guitar player to to Mal, but they just seem to to bring out something in each other that just worked so well and it reminds me a little bit i'm not sure if you're familiar with a band from from the states from the 70s called firefall no they, i'm not sort of a thinking man's eagles okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and they, they sort of have that feel to me about them they they, they sort of crossed into a little you know had a little bit of a country feel about it which i which which stars didn't have in those 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 couple of early singles
0: hmm okay
4: Alright,
3: let's move on. Um, I I, I was saying to Michael earlier on, because we've got two albums to get through, I don't think we're going to, we're not going to tackle every song off both albums and actually there's a third uh, record that we're going to uh, bring a couple of songs off the Andy Durant Memorial concert that I spoke about with uh, Mick Peeling. Um, so uh, we'll probably, you know, we'll just go through our favourites of uh, both of these albums. So we'll go to um, the third track on the album, which is actually the title track of the album. This is Paradise. Books and
2: schooling never did very much for me Soul searching questions whose answers i never see Long-winded madness spoken in reverent tones I'm glad I got out of there While my mind Was still my own Factory labor Just ain't my cup of tea It Left me colder than the heart Of the landlord who came after me He put me on the street With nothing but my feet To get me out of there start started all again complete. Paradise, oh paradise, come to me. Take me from this world of mine, set me free. Paradise, oh paradise,
3: come to me. Now, when they were doing the Andy Durant Memorial concert, this song was sung by um, Australian singer Renee Geyer. And um, I've I've got to confess, i been very very fond of her version uh i I like what uh mick does with it you know in the original uh uh, version on on the album on the stars album but um i think renee Gaia really nailed it
4: indeed i I absolutely agree she did make it she did do a great version of it and and um and i recalled after having a look at the liner notes of the the lp when i knew we were going to do this that um a band, a couple of ladies from a band called Cheetah
3: were the uh, were the backup both They of them. were, yes. Do you remember them? I do, and de- I think I can't remember what TV show I saw it on, the Don Lane show or something. But yeah, I I definitely remember seeing uh, Cheetah on uh, on the Idiot Box and and performing away, and oh, uh, don't know, don't know. So they're they're bound to be on YouTube. Team.
4: A lot
3: of assets in their favour. Put it that way. <laughs> oh, I, I was i was—you're you're talking about their their tonsils, their respective tonsils. Indeed. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, and for those of you overseas who don't know why they were called cheetah, look up a YouTube clip and look at their sense of uh, their, their dress sense, and that might give something about you know dots poker dots and stuff like that in in tight fitting suits jumpsuits or something like that as i recall. But,
4: but they did disappear didn't they? I wonder what ever happened. To
3: them. Mm, no idea. Oh, probably doing session work or something like yeah, that yeah. who knows. Um but yeah so this this song paradise um it definitely evokes a sense of wanting to be somewhere other than where it, you know he is uh, and really one gets the feeling that um And he didn't belong to the 20th century, you know, rock and roll aside. He obviously had a love of rock and roll and that, you know, that great 20th century art form. But that aside, if he's not wanting to, if he's not writing about wanting to, um, to leave the rat race, he's writing about 19th century gold prospectors or traveling on a boat down a river. But we'll get to those songs eventually. Um, but in, I don't know, you'd never think that you could compare, you know, uh, stars to the Ramones, but, um, you know the lyrics in Paradise. You know books and schooling never did much for me. Soul-searching questions whose answers I could never see. Long-winded madness spoken in reverent tones. Glad I got out of there while my mind was still my own. I mean, yeah, you know, this is basically the stars' version of rock and roll high school.
4: Indeed. Yeah, I never thought about it like that? And I, this is the song, I guess, that I at the time the the, the song on the album that I really struggled with because. I was you know loved the first two star singles so much and they were they were quite you know very rockin' tunes and this this song was so different mm. but it, it took a long time to grow on me and and as you say lyrically it's it's a great tune and um now one of my favorites and it it took me a long time to sort of come around to
3: it what I really like about it is the material it, it the song it never feels dark i mean he's feeling wistful he really he's not happy where he is he wants to be somewhere else but it never feels morbid or, or or um yeah, he never feels miserable or bad. it's just a wistful sort of feel and that's that's what I really like about it
4: but and also it it shows a, a side of um of mick peeling's vocal that you know we weren't really familiar with until until this tune that he he really can you know take his voice in so many different directions this is this is quite a a nice tune, that to, you know, compared to the rockers that we were used to hearing up to this point, and it, it really is quite a departure for, as, as I said from what we were used to.
3: And there's a, a really nice malle stick uh, bluesy guitar solo, acoustic guitar solo in the middle, and like we're so I'm used to him doing the electric thing and the talking box thing, that uh, this sort of comes a little bit out of left field. But the the acoustic solo here is really lovely.
4: Certainly, mm. One of my favourite guitar players is Malle.
0: Mm, mm.
3: Alright, so let's move on to the next song I wanted to discuss And this is Jupiter Creek Love, love this
4: tune the
2: Trees were shaking as the rain came down Been walking for days, seems like town after town Well I heard there was gold down near old Jupiter Creek Now darling, I swear to God, there's a place there for me Bought me a claim, had to make it my home To make ends meet, I sold everything that I owned And I got me a partner, old Jim was his name From dawn to dusk we worked that whole, each day was the same There's gold in the high country I've seen it shine with my own eyes I know it's there just waiting for me, and it won't be long till I'll be coming home to you, yeah. to you. Now, like
3: a few of the other songs that appear on Paradise and on Land of Fortune, this is a story song. Um, and I'm going to keep sort of referring a bit to the Andy Durant Memorial concert. When they covered this song, it was done by Broderick Smith, who, um, we spoke about a few episodes ago with his, uh, Broderick Smith's Big Combo album. And, um, he, so he was a good friend of the band, and, uh, Andy Durant, uh, you know, did some co writes with Broderick Smith for that album. Um, obviously, the, you mentioned the Dingoes before, so that's obviously where they, had that affinity with them um, but yeah I look I really love I really, uh, really love this song Jupiter Creek in some ways I sort of think it, it f- probably was a better fit for the Land of Fortune album um, but um, I really like this this tells the tale and the first person of uh, a guy who's left his wife and home to go on a gold prospect, convinced he's going to strike it rich in no time, uh, and that he's eventually going to come back to his wife, uh, you know, a wealthy man. Instead, his digging partner drowns and the protagonist wastes three years of his life without any success. Yet he's still, you know, insanely convinced that there's a piece of the action reserved just for him. Um, you know, it's a song about uh, obsession, um, but just all set to this. You know, uh, countryish, uh, uh, country folk ballad. I don't know, but just part of the really great storytelling tradition.
4: Indeed, and and maybe uh, Gold Fever, the tune on Land of Fortune is the is the um, is the sequel to this tune. But Jupiter Creek is actually uh, a, a tune very close to my heart because Jupiter Creek is actually a, a real place, spitting distance from where I'm sitting at the moment. Really? And, indeed, and. And and it's such a romantic song that sort of for me conjures up visions of of gold, you know, the gold rush in Australia, places like Ballarat, etc. Mm. Jupiter Creek is the tiniest little speck. <laughs> it's just a tiny little <laughs> hole in the ground in the bush in the Adelaide Hills. There is literally nothing there. One little gold mine that I think in absolutely zero. And I've I've it's there's actually a a reserve there that you can and where and and it's interesting that the uh, the gold mine is. Is flooded and it's a it's it's a small lake. So uh, okay. yeah, you can actually visit Jupiter Creek. There you go. How
3: about that? We should probably put together a list of all the locations of um, uh, you know, places mentioned in in rock and roll songs. Be they you know, in Australia, be they in you know, other parts of the world. Actually, this this is a good thing. I'm going to start up a um, topic of discussion here, folks. Um, Tell us, you know, send send a, an email to uh, the Love That Album program, or se- put something on the Facebook page uh, saying if there's any great rock and roll songs that mention a place that you've been to, an unusual place, not necessarily, you know, like a major city. Can be anywhere small, like you know, Jupiter Creek. You been to Jupiter Creek? Let us know. I um,
4: could start a whole new, a whole new industry in the Adelaide Hills of stars-related tourism.
3: Yeah, yeah, that'll be a big one, I'm sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, just one other point I wanted to to make about this. In in a way, this film reminds. Me, oh, sorry, this song reminds me of um, the Humphrey Bogart film, The Treasure of Sierra Madre. I'm not sure if you've seen that one, but um, I, although, mind you, they really did strike it rich, but that was more of a story about greed. So maybe I guess it's not that much related. But I, I guess the character in that film, the 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 Humphrey Bogart character and you know the character in this song become obsessed with the idea of gold and there's this great line, you know, he sings, There's gold in the high country. I've seen it shine with my own eyes. I I'm sure it really hasn't. This guy is just so obsessed, he's so absorbed. I'm going to dig, yeah, yeah, I know it's there, I've, I've, I've seen it. I think he's just trying to convince his wife in his letters back home. Yeah, yeah, don't worry, I'll, I'll be coming home really, really soon. I've just got to hang out here a little bit more. I've seen it with him, but I somehow doubt that he has. He's just a little bit obsessed. All right, okay, so we're going to go to, um, well, this is actually the song that first drew my attention to, well, maybe not first drew my attention to Stars, but the first thing that, I, I liked Quick on the Draw when it came out, but this was a song that convinced me that this was truly a great band. Uh, and I don't know, I guess for anyone our age, you say, uh, can you remember one song by Stars? I think this might be the one and it's called Mighty Rock.
2: Mighty Rock The Mighty Roll Once it's got you Won't let go It don't matter What you do The Mighty Rock's coming after
3: Now, I, I guess I don't have too much to say about this one lyrically, but on the other hand, it's you know, as I said, it's possibly the most what they're remembered for. So you know, it's not one to ignore. And it, but it really is a great rock song. And actually, I, after I was making my notes about this, and I thought, well, it's it's a self-referential rock song. That is, it's a rock song about rock music. So I went and put a. Um, I went and put out a, like a, a, a shout-out on the Love That Album Facebook page and also, I think, on the Tough Tits Hot Licks Facebook page asking people to come up with any songs that they could think of, rock and roll songs that were about rock and roll. And I actually got quite a long list of uh, responses, at least on the Tough Tits and page. Um, but I've, I've, I've always had a soft spot about rock songs that talk about rock. Um, how about you, Michael? Where do you stand on this?
4: Yeah, for me, this song is the link between the stars that I saw first, the four-piece, and and the, the stars that play uh, that Paradise. It's it's the song that linked those two bands together, and it's still, you know, I still love to hear this song. Mm-hmm. There's there's a, um, I think it's actually on DVD. The 1979 there was a a concert that they put on the steps of. Uh, the Sydney Opera House to to celebrate the end of the the 1970s and Stars had, I think, either just disbanded or were in the in the the throes of disbanding, and I I'm pretty sure this was their last gig. Uh, and there's a version of Mighty Rock from that concert that is just mind blowing. the 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 band is on fire. The, the The studio version is is wonderful, but yeah, if you can get hold of, it's called the Concert of the Decade. It's got and it's an ah. extended version of, of Mighty Rock, and it is just something to behold. Now
3: that w- that was a on vinyl, I think it was a triple album, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, I've, I've got a, a shabby old vinyl, and I, but I, I'm sure, and I may even have it somewhere in a in a in a box somewhere, a, a video of the of the concert. But um, yeah, that's one one thing I really remember that that this. Ver- that version of Mighty Rock was just
0: awesome.
3: Um, look, you know, on on the album version, I mean, we haven't made mention yet of uh, of uh, the rhythm section of the band, but they're absolutely tight. So there was uh, Roger McLaughlin, who I think had been involved uh, as a, um, a big time session player, and certainly I know he was part of a jazz fusion band in the early '80s, uh, which. I've gone and spoken with you about before, called Pyramid, uh, playing with uh, the great Australian drummer David Jones, um, uh, so Roger McLaughlin and uh, drummer Glenn Dowding, um, who didn't appear on the Land of Fortune album, but did come back for the Andy Duran Memorial Concert. But they're just absolutely so super tight um, on this song, and um, uh, you know Mick Peeling, Mick Peeling's voice is in. Fine form, and Mal Eastick does a really tasteful guitar solo. Uh, but yeah, just yeah, when you when when they sing about their devotion to the mighty rock, you believe it.
4: But but it also, I, I guess, you know, without without knowing the background of the song, but but knowing where stars came from, you know, those guys love you know love those rock bands that the, they played the covers of that we spoke of before of of, of Free and bands of that, you know, that they, they lived and breathed. That stuff, and I think you know, reading between the lines, this is a this is a homage to the you know the bands they loved, and and it's interesting that that um, a lot of bands from Adelaide that that, that did really well were, were from the northern suburbs, Cold Chisel and and the Angels, mm. uh, and Stars were the opposite. They were they were the southern suburbs guys, which which were at the time. As as removed from the city of Adelaide as the northern suburbs were, and there's many a cold chisel story about how how Elizabeth, where they where they grew up, was was you know like another planet. And but um, you know, Stars grew up in a in another world, way down south, but I guess more of a beach culture, and you you can also hear that in their music. And and Mighty Rock again sort of conjures that up for me as well. All
3: right. Uh, okay, we'll move on to the next song, and this is a song which in in some ways it sounds the most out of place on the album and you know, I, I guess from an arrangement perspective but in other ways it fits very much at home and um, maybe we'll discuss this uh, this song is called West Is The Way
2: Look out where the sun is setting Where hills roll like the sea You'll see people after new beginnings searching patiently they don't stop for no one cause all they had is gone along. is the way. North is the thunder. East is what we're running from. South is the sea where we go under. West is the one. West is
3: the way. Now the reason why I sort of mentioned that it sounds like it doesn't quite belong. It's got a string section,
4: <laughs> but it's a great song, isn't it? And and I, the reference I made to the band Firefall before Morris, this is this is the tune on, on Paradise that really makes me think of those guys. And um, West Coast is not the right sort of analogy to describe but, but you know, Stars had a little bit of that sort of flavour, which
3: oh, definitely, which
4: which, which I, you know seemed to come to the band when Angie Durant joined the band, which. You know, may may be a coincidence, but um, you know, you may you may well know. You know, you're the lyric man in in uh, in this uh, in this
3: partnership,
4: <laughs> And but lyrically, this song is one of the. You know, I, the chorus in this is just magnificent. Uh,
3: look, I I, I love. Um, well, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about the music first uh, with the arrangement. I, I love the little uh, overlays of slide guitar. It has. Uh, this is such a subjective term and I like to use this a lot and I can't quite pin why it is, but it this the slide guitar, especially at the beginning of the song, has what I call that summer feeling, or sorry, the the summer shimmer. And if you've heard the Paul Kelly song, How to Make Gravy, which everyone in Australia has, Shane O'Mara does the same thing. He has, with his little bit of slide guitar, has that summer shimmer. Does that Makes sense maybe you've heard like in the song summer's almost over it has that for
4: for me it's that sound is um you know anywhere from from broome in in northern western australia across darwin to, to far north queensland it conjures up instantly that feeling of of the tropical part of australia
3: and you know what i've never even been to those parts of australia and yet i can completely understand that
4: you need to get out for my
3: friend. I do, I do. Uh, but, you know, Melbourne has everything. What do I need to move out of Melbourne for? <laughs> spoken, spoken like a true arrogant Melbourneian. Um, now, look, he, Andy, uh, the other thing that makes this song unusual um, is that Andy himself actually sings this ballad. So you can tell maybe it was something that was very, very personal to him. Uh, you know, he he, says, he overlays with the strings towards the end of the song, but it's it's not done like a mantavani thing it's not over the top it's very very tasteful and in a way i see this song maybe as a a sequel to jupiter creek um because but it's you know more of a statement about you know the the character in jupiter creek finally moving on and seeking new opportunities he's saying right well this gold claim here is worthless right west is the way that's where i gotta go I'm i'm leaving that place that's a, a, a spit away from Michael Persher's house, and I'm going west. For, uh, for
4: me, mate, it's, it's also a very... Um, it, it sort of captures a way that that we in Adelaide think about the rest of the country because being being situated in the, in the middle of the country, you know, uh, the, lyric, the the chorus, as I alluded to before, um, you know, north is the thunder. So we, we think of, of Darwin as you know where where you go to for that you know that that really sums up darwin for us and and east for us is you know the craziness of of melbourne and sydney which compared to adelaide you know is is big business and and big city and and west in south australia from 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 adelaide to perth there's a there's a great deal of nothing really you know it's a very adelaide centric song without actually saying that
3: and and yet you know there's the line east is what we're running from but East was where stars ran too.
4: Absolutely. Well, you know, (laughs) that
3: Uh, showbiz. And I think, I don't mean this in a negative way, but uh, I, I, well, look, I mean, I'm not the world's greatest LRB fan, but this song would not have sounded out of place on an LRB album. And I can totally hear Glenn Shorrock's voice all over this. Um, it's, I don't know, it, I, I wouldn't necessarily... Maybe it's a teeny bit saccharine, but not too much. But I think certainly like Andy's heart was in the right place. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's a great piece of uh, songwriting, I think.
4: Oh, indeed, and it's funny you mentioned the river band because um, I think it might have been quick on the draw. I, I, my my battered old 45 is out of reach, but, but Rick Formosa, who was, uh, for a time, lead guitarist in Little River Band, <coughs> had a lot to do with, with stars in the early days.
3: Indeed, I think uh, B Bertels might have even produced the Paradise album. I don't actually have it on me, but um, I think B Bertels certainly produced Quick on the Draw.
4: Yeah, so you know there was you know, quite a bit of um, little band influence, and, mm. and um, yeah, that you, you can hear that.
0: Mm, mm. All
4: right, let's move on. Um, this is a final
3: song I want to discuss from uh, Paradise, unless. You have any others that you want to discuss, but um, I wanted to make mention of Song for the Road.
4: Great tune.
2: Open highway, my headlights. Wheels are rolling through that truck stop now.
3: Now, I've got to admit, this is not a song that I initially cared for because I never counted myself as a big fan of, you know, old style truck driving country songs. But, you know, yet I've really grown to appreciate it over the years. Um, and I really, I, I, I truly say thank goodness that it's Mick Peeling singing this because I, I think it could quite easily have been done with a stereotype country draw that would have absolutely driven me nuts but this is a a, it's a country song being sung by a pop singer and i know that's probably a crime for country purists um something that i'm probably going to get to a lot to discuss uh on the next program with my next guest but i'll talk about that at the end of the show um uh, but you know i'm no country purist so for me I, i really like the combination of country music being sung by a pop singer Once again, Andy's continuing the theme of traveling and not feeling comfortable to uh, to uh, plant his roots. He sings, uh, "Well, Mick Peeling sings Andy's words. Settling down is something I've never done. Sure, I like cities, but not the same one." Ah, what a great line!
4: Indeed, And, and that's 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 a common theme, isn't it? Through the the stars, and stars are not, I don't think, appreciated for what. You know, clever lyrics are are hidden away in some of those tunes, and that's an example, a a classic example. Look, and I think
3: this song, in some ways, the the theme it it summarises all that's gone on before. You know, gold prospecting was an excuse to be elsewhere. Paradise was somewhere that was unattainable. West was an excuse to get away from whatever he was running away from. But you know, in this song, the travelling, he's finally found his. Nirvana, he's finally found his excuse. He's on the road. He has to f- he doesn't need to find any excuses to run away from anything because that's his job. That's what he does. He's on the road, he's happy. Um 4 in the morning, I'm feeling fine on the move and the road is mine. I mean it, yeah, it, it's it's a it could be a line out of any American trucking song, but you know, it's got this great Australian flavour that uh that stars imbue in it. So um yeah, I don't know.
4: For me it's it's Stars version of 6 days on the road.
3: Indeed. Yes, I I agree with that. All right. Um so that's pretty much was, was there any songs that you wanted to make mention of specific from Paradise that we haven't covered yet?
4: No, it's hard, mate, because because really and and as I look back on the album again, there is not a bum song on the album, you know. No. E- every song in its own right is is just, you know, beautiful thing You know, the 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 great version of Rocky Mountain Way on there mm. is is um, just shows off what a great live band Stars were. Isn't it? Yeah,
3: I think that was recorded in Melbourne at the uh, Palais Theatre. Might have been for Night Moves.
4: Yeah, that's right.
3: Mm. Um, okay, so actually, I should possibly mention for um, anyone, well, any locals as well, but anyone overseas that you could probably, if you like what you've been hearing on the show tonight, uh, the albums I think were re-released on CD. I think back in two thousand and ten. Um, I'm not sure if they got the remastered treatment, because, you because know, my copies are um, quite old, uh, but um, yeah, they are definitely still in print. You could probably pick them up quite cheap. I think about ten or twelve dollars, ten or twelve Australian dollars. So um, get online and search them out if you like what you've been hearing, and I certainly hope you do. Uh, so yeah, all right. So we'll now uh, head on to uh, their second studio album, Land of Fortune. And as I mentioned earlier Ron, this album is uh, you know a bit less slick in the production. You know, a little bit. I wouldn't say rough because it's certainly not rough. So it doesn't sound like Eleven Fifty Seven. This their, their uh, live album, but they've um, they've taken some of the sheen on. Oh, oh, sorry. Start again. They've taken some of the sheen off. And it's really, I think, to the song's advantage that they've, that they've done this. So the opening song on the Land of Fortune album is the title track. I love how this song and consequently the album opens up with a very traditional sounding theme on the accordion. Um, uh, the, the band chimes in after about you know 30 seconds or so and this song has a really strong acoustic undercurrent which um, I really love it gives it a strong earthy feel. It's um, as I said it's not quite gritty but you know certainly less polished than Paradise and you know, really, it, 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 for a band like Stars, which I think probably live had that gritty live sound um, and lyrical subject matter, that was a good thing.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And and we we spoke about it before, Morris. The, you know, the the Australianness of Stars, and this, this song for me is, you know, this could this could be worthy of being the Australian national anthem because <laughs> it, it conjures Australia, but without being you know obvious. And it, I I, I really like that. Look, well, it took me
3: quite a few lessons before I sort of worked out, and I thought, hang on, this is the story of Ben Hall. Um, and um, I'll, I'll just give a little bit of a history lesson here. Um, now, uh, if you um, open up, I'm, I'm sure, because I don't have the vinyl, but in the CD case, and presumably, though, in the vinyl, there's um, a, picture, well, a, a picture of a Tom Roberts painting called Bailed Up, uh, and this is included, like, as said, in the lyric sheet of the CD. And Robert's painting apparently was inspired by the bushranger Frederick Ward, who was also known as Captain Thunderbolt. And I'm wondering whether Marvel or DC Comics has ever tried to steal that name, uh, Captain Thunderbolt, A.K.A. He was you know, the gentleman bushranger, and he'd started out stealing cattle and horses, you know, before getting arrested and thrown into prison, and then becoming a full-blown bush Ranger and, and um, I think Tom Roberts had been living in in the area or, or certainly he was doing some painting in the area where um, Captain Thunderbolt had originally been um, you know working you know before before becoming a, uh, a cattle thief and um, use that as an inspiration for this uh, great painting of his but Funnily enough, Land of Thought Fortune is not about Captain Thunderbolt, but it's about Ben Hall. Um, now, the other really big song um, about Ben Hall is the Australian folk ballad, "The Streets of Forbes." And I remember telling a uh, a friend who was, you know, very traditional in his musical outlook, Australian folk music outlook, that I was really very keen on the weddings parties, anything rocked-up version of uh, "Streets of Forbes," and he said that was sacrilege. But you know, I dragged him to a few weddings, parties, anything gigs, so I don't think he could have minded too much. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it, it's, uh, and they tell, they tell the story in the first person. So, uh, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's really quite fascinating. A really great lyric here. So, um, yeah, look, if you can find this song on YouTube, I mean, I've played you a little bit here in the show, but, um, if you can find the whole song on YouTube, and there, there is a live performance out there, um, just really give it a listen. It's a fascinating story. I mean, I, I think as a kid, I don't know about you, Michael, but I was whole, I was reading every book on bush rangers I could get my hands on.
4: It's, it's interesting too, yeah, and I think every one uh, Australian kid did. Mm. It's You know, this is the... And I, I remember talking to, to, um, to Mel about this, that Land of Fortune, to my knowledge, is the first and the only real rock... Album that's that sort of looked at Australia in the nineteenth century, you know, in a, in a rock and roll sort of context. Yep. been done with folk and country, but yep. you know, stars did something very unique with it. it's. I wouldn't call this a concept album, but it's got that theme. Mm. And, you, know, you know, it's it's really quite out there to to try and attempt something that no one had, had really even you know vaguely touched on before.
3: Mm. Well, look, it was it was interesting in my conversation with. Um, with Mick Peeling, he said, cause this song is actually one of the few songs, uh, between the two albums that's not written by Andy Durant. You know, there's, there's a couple on this album, um, that were written by Mal Stick, and, uh, Mick mentions that, um, I don't know whether it was conscious or unconscious, but, uh, Mal was now starting to write songs in Andy's style. Whereas, you know, he'd previously sort of been a lot more bluesy and like nowadays, you know, as you'd gone and pointed out, I think in your uh, Maleistic interview and, and on your podcast, that, you know, he's definitely more of a blues guitar player now. But for this brief time, he was trying to write songs that, you know, possibly could have come out of Andy's pen and this very much could have been.
4: But, and yeah, absolutely. But, but also showed, you know, how they influenced each other. I, I mentioned before how they seemed to bring out the best in each other Guitar-wise, but mm. but I think they really, yeah, and and as you know, uh, as we'll talk about the um, the memorial concert that, that Mel put on when that, when Andy passed away, you know, they were the best of friends, and and you know, yeah, their their songwriting really did by by the time Land of Fortune came along, yeah, they really had you know you had trouble if you didn't know who wrote a particular tune. This being a classic example, you. You couldn't really pick
3: it. No, no, that's that's definitely a good thing. Um, I, I remember having this conversation. This is a you know, completely different band, but um, I remember being sent uh, an advanced copy of uh, uh, the uh, the final studio album by the Ice Cream Hands called The Good China a few years back, and I had no credits listed there as to who wrote what and uh, Chuck Jenkins, and that, another great band that... Came out of Adelaide and went to Melbourne. And Chuck Jenkins was usually their chief songwriter. But by the time of the final album, all members of the band were writing songs. And really, they, they had this common mission. And you didn't know who had written what because basically, you know, Chuck Jenkins had been such a strong songwriter and had set the path for where they should go that they all basically sort of fell in that, in that, um, into line with his songwriting style and and it sort of worked to their advantage i think and and yeah you're, you're quite right you know durant and peeling um sort of you know following a, a common mission here
4: and, and for me um land of fortune as an album really you know it was really all hangs together really well you know there's there's um the different styles that stars could play incorporated in the album but it, for me it really as a as a body of work really hangs together and and I think that's that also shows you know how tight the band was at that time and mm. and how together they were and I think a lot of that was you know Andy and Mae's friendship. Mm. Look,
3: before we go off this song and I haven't gone and you know done my traditional thing of reciting lyrics cuz you know you know I am the lyric person in this partnership. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, the chorus I think has a, a nice sense of irony Compared to the rest of the song, um, and it you know possibly sums up Ben Hall's philosophy. Uh, the, the, the chorus you know goes, "Land of fortune, land of chance, land of dangerous circumstance. It's all ours as far as we can see. We can do just what we please." And you know, on the one hand, you sort of think it's going to be, as they sing, you know, about uh, the land of opportunity where um, you know once a lot of the convicts f- uh, finished, you know, their time in service to Her Maj, um, they were able to get some land and maybe do whatever it was that they wanted. But it's, you know, really told from Ben Hall's side or any bush rangers' side, well, you know, the, the land is corrupt with, uh, British soldiery and, uh, with, a uh, corrupt, uh, corrupt governors and corrupt law. So, you know, we're just going to do what we want. Um, so it really takes the, takes that whole theme onto, uh, of, um, Onto a bit of a, uh, a a different perception to what you otherwise otherwise might think, and uh, the the verses telling the story of Ben Hall certainly reinforce that.
4: Well, I, I sort of think you know it's a you know, I put my speaking for every Australian, but I think you know it, it sort of touches on the way we feel about the country.
3: Mm, yep, definitely.
4: All right. Uh, so the next track I want to
3: talk about from uh, Land Fortune is another one that. When I first heard it, I wasn't so sure whether I liked it or not, but now I do. Um, and the song is Redneck Boogie. Now, we were talking before about Andy's, I mean, his uh, feelings about Adelaide, which were not necessarily always complimentary, but do you reckon that Redneck Boogie is about Adelaide?
4: I've really never thought about that, mate. (laughs) Redneck Boogie is probably one of, you know, up there with one of my maybe three top star songs. Okay. the, The simple reason that, Mal six guitar playing just kills in this song. And I mm. I love it so much. You know, I find it hard to get past anything else. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, this is a, a follow-up to Winning Hand, which was the second single. And okay. you know, just great guitar playing. And, you, know, you know, that's still what I love about this tune. About this tune. I've, I've never really thought about it in a mm. deep and meaningful
3: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, here he is. He's singing. I mean, Skyhook's tackled a similar thing with their song saturday night didn't they you know um they're singing about you know a group of guys they're bored they're just driving around town and yet i get two different impressions of it because you sort of get the feeling it's about small town guys um who are happy to be cruising around and ready to get into a fight and someone looks at them the wrong way then they're going to be as mick sings cruising for a bruising um you know these things. Uh, There's a city slicker shooting off his mouth. He's finding north. I'll be sending his teeth south. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, the song musically has a bit of a, you know, a real swagger, a real strut, uh, a country boogie feel, a bit of a guys will be guys song. And yet there later on in in the song he throws in that line where you sort of. oh Does he, is he happy where he is? He says, yeah, we're just cruising around. We're trying to find the first way to leave this town. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit of a contradictory thing. The first half, you get the impression he's happy, you know, being the big fish in that town. And then, but, you know, he's thinking, well, but you know what? I'm not really that happy and I just want another chance to move out. So, you know, Andy's feelings about traveling just coming right bubbling back up to the surface again.
4: Mm, absolutely. And and I'm I'm amazed that no country Australian country artist hasn't picked up this song, right? You know, I can see Lee Koonigan or Casadale or someone doing this song. You know, it's it's just it's really got and again, ahead of its time, you know, Australian country music in I guess the the eighties and, and from then on really changed and took on a more of a I guess you know, got away from that traditional country and western sound and mm. had, a rock sound, and, and you know, this, this song would fit into that perfectly. You know, I'm I'm amazed no one's covered it, or to my knowledge no one's covered it.
3: Mm. I guess because it's got that um, dual lead guitar attack in it. Um, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm not listening enough to uh, what the young'uns are listening to nowadays, but it seems like that dual lead guitar attack is of its time. I guess maybe they could come up with a new arrangement for it to make it... To make it work today, but certainly, I guess the themes of uh, feeling out of place, uh, wanting to leave this, leave where you are—that's that's timeless. That could really sort of work in any song, uh, in, in any era.
4: And and for me, I guess our, you know there's your part of the world hasn't really got the outback sort of places that South Australia has got, but you know the the small one horse towns out the you know, way out in the desert in South Australia. This really conjures up sorta, of, you know, images of those places for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Alright. Uh, so the next song
3: I wanna talk about is um yeah, definitely one of my very, very favourites, and I'd be surprised if it's not one of yours. It's uh Last of the River Boats. There's a light across the river
2: and it's making me dream. It's the last of the river boats and it's getting up steam. See it through the willows I can hear it round the bend Birds fly up and they're saying It won't be back again But the riverboat knows Just where the river goes Someone throws me alive. It's the last of the riverboats going home I dreamed I took a journey to the lake, drinking on the promenade deck till I couldn't keep awake. I woke up with a vision from a different time when the road was a river, and the river boat was mine. The river boat knows just where the river
3: goes. This is a really lovely country style ballad, and um i i guess i see something in this like uh, uh continuing the theme of paradise um it's it's interesting in a way well actually before i come to the lyric i'd say it's interesting that um stars avoided the potential cliche of playing a fiddle over the acoustic guitar of this because they could so easily have done that and probably a lot of people would have still liked it but i i love in fact that they use a harmonica instead um, which is probably why um uh, Broderick Smith sang it at the uh, Andy Tre memorial concert, um, but you know, I, I guess, like Paradise, this is you know Andy uh, dreaming of a you know a simpler existence, a simpler time. Uh, it, it could be anywhere. He's, he's made the Australian connection because that's what he knows. But really, this song could have been anywhere. I'm sure this has been tackled in a Credence song somewhere. The same theme. Um, and there's a great line in it. Uh, I dreamed I took a journey from achuca to the lake, uh, drinking on the promenade deck till I couldn't keep awake. Um, I don't know, maybe it reminds me a bit of Born on the Bayou thematically with its wistful recollection of uh, wanting to be elsewhere. And, you know, he, he also sings like, he takes a similar thing to Paradise. Um, in probably what's one of the, I guess, one of the lines where he's really wearing his heart on his sleeve is, meanwhile, we're all living the lives that we all know Paying our tax and breaking our backs with nothing left to show, we're thinking of a future, uh, of a day that'll come to past. We'll take the riverboat and we'll fire it up once more. So he's acknowledging that the riverboat is a thing of the past, and he can't live there. But geez, it'd be nice to just take that old time trip one more time and live life a little bit more simply and i think that this song you know it's it's what 30 plus years old but i think it's probably more relevant than ever
4: Mm, absolutely and and again this takes me and i don't know about you but you know this this takes me right back to to so many little towns along the murray river in in south australia and and victoria that it you know it just transports you to a, a place in australia with without really being cliché, although it does, you know, reference a tutor. But, um, yeah, and, and again, you know, I can see the Bushwhackers or Weddings, Parties, Anything doing a great version of this song. It's a, you know, it's, a, it's as good an Australian folk song as has ever been written.
3: You know, it's funny you mention Weddings, Parties, Anything because live they love to cover a lot of bands um, not just Australian ones but they did cover a lot of Australian songs and I'm surprised that they never included a star song in their repertoire and this would have been perfect for them
4: yeah, and it's I think this is probably you know apart from mighty rock maybe the most well-known stars tune because it did I don't think it was a single but it just got hammered and hammered but on the radio it really did um, you know go across the board as well it was um, Quite a crossover, a tune on just about every radio station was playing.
3: Mm. So, all right, I'm going to ask you the um, the $64 question. The Andy Durant Memorial version features uh, one Jimmy Barnes singing the song. What do you think? Oh,
4: look, oh, and I'm sure
3: Jimmy's not listening, so you can say what you want. Well,
4: I, I, <laughs> it, it's fine, and I, you know I love Jimmy Barnes, but but it's not a you know it really is not a patch on the original and. It's as simple as that. As you say, that you know the the arrangement and the hum, Andy Durant's harmonica playing and, and just the way this tune is put together, it, that that really is it for me because it's it, as you said, it could be so could have been so awful and they've just they've pulled off a song because it's probably the most out of character song on any stars album, my thing. And um, but they've kept it. I guess, a credibility and a, a, um, you know, it does fit with the other songs where it could have just gone anywhere.
0: Mm,
3: mm. Yeah, look, I mean, I I guess my feeling is that, you know, when it it comes out of uh, Mick Peeling's mouth, it really retains that gentle, wistful quality. And that's, you know, in fitting with the lyric. And, you know, Jimmy Barnes is really screaming the lyric on the Andy Durant Memorial version. I mean, look, his heart was, I'm sure, in the right place and, you know, God bless him for being there, but um, I don't think that this was the song for for uh, Jimmy Barnes to sing. But um, never mind, his heart, as I said, was in the right place, and he probably really wanted to do it. So you know, full credit to him. All right, so um, I think we'll just tackle one more song from uh, Land of Fortune, and then talk about a couple from uh, the memorial concert in detail that didn't appear on either of uh, the Star Studio albums. And this is uh, the song called Wasted Words. Now, to my way of thinking, this song is really quite unusual insofar as Andy's songwriting goes. I mean, maybe not unusual thematically for anyone else, but for him. Uh, I mean, look, most of his material has been concerned with an itch for travelling or with history. Um, and this is, I think, one of his only, at least the only ones I can think of, uh, relationship drama songs. Uh, and I don't know how you feel, musically it reminds me of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers around "Damn the Torpedoes era. Era. Would you would you say that? Would you think it's
4: that? Funny, funny you say that. And and you're right. That there is a an element, and I love early Tom Petty. And there is a bit of a starsness about. Yeah, I I, I like that uh, analogy. That mm. yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, yeah. i I'd, it never I'd never really dawned on me. Oh, good. Words. You'll
3: listen to it in the, in a new
4: light. Yeah, absolutely. It's a song that again took took a long time to grow on me. It was. And I guess looking back now, the, the rockers on this album were the first ones that really stood out for me, you know, Gold Fever and, and, uh, and Redneck Boogie. But, the, you know, the, the ballads on the, the album are, are really strong as well and, and Wasted Words is, is, uh, is one of those, you know, Innocent Bystanders and Never Coming Back are the other two, you know, really, really strong, fantastic ballads.
3: Um, I mean, mix singing in particular... Is, uh, is just fantastic here. Um, and like he sort of doubles up because as well as his lead line, uh, on the chorus, and you, if you've heard the song, you know what I'm referring to. Uh, there's his, you know, big echo, uh, in the background, uh, background vocal echo in the chorus. And it's, it really takes someone who only, like Mick, had a, such a strong voice, such a strong ability, and he'd already proven that with his free cover band, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, it's, yeah, amazing what he, uh, what he achieves there. Um, and Andy's rhythm guitar here, it, it's tight, especially on the chorus where it has this sort of razor-like sound. I don't, I don't know if you sort of know what I mean by that, but just, Uh, I I wish I could find a subjectively better term to describe it, but that's what it makes me think of, you know, a razor-like sound. Um, And uh, as I said, unlike anything else on these two albums, this is his, you know, relationship breakup song. uh, But, you know, even here, the the beginning of the song sounds like he's, you know, bitter. I'm slowly going crazy trying to understand what you want from me, which I think is an incredible start to the song. You know, there's there's no pussyfooting around. But, you know, he eventually, like, is in The Last of the Riverboats, you know, dreams of a better time. You know, he sings, I wish I could go back in time and stop all the things that could go wrong before sadly acknowledging that he can't and they're just going to have to go their separate ways. So it never really ends up being a bitter, completely bitter song, which sounds like it wasn't Andy's nature anyway. Mm
4: -hmm. And uh, for me, in in retrospect, it's sort of, you know, it makes you wonder what you know what great songs we would have uh, we would have had from Andy Grant if he'd uh, you know lived longer than uh, than the short life he had. So yeah, it's it's just um, sad that we we you know we could have you know th- there would have been this great treasure trove of uh, of wonderful tunes indeed.
3: I mean, I'll say yeah, I did I did write another point here. Um, I... I, I I guess I've already alluded to it but you know even though it has the, this tune, I guess has that rock band swagger the character here he, he's he's not a macho guy you know he's he's been hurt which I, I think it, you know, the the lyric really reflects his vulnerability and that really is very much Andy uh, at least the impression that I get through uh, a lot of his other songs and pretty much from what Mick described in him so um Yes, yeah, so, okay, yeah, no, That's uh, that pretty much covers the songs I wanted to uh, speak about from uh, Land of Fortune, and you know, as I mentioned before, both of these albums re-released back in 2010, so if you're local, you can pop into one of the uh, few remaining CD stores or order it online, and if you're overseas and um, know of a good site where to get Australian material, then um, this should be readily available and quite cheaply.
4: And I need to do that
3: because I've only got hammered old vinyls of both of them. Oh, well, I'll I'll take your hammered old vinyls off your hand if you want. Uh, um, uh, Okay, so as i mentioned before, I wanted to talk about a couple of songs from the Andy Durant Memorial Concert. I mean, most of the songs were just like these, you know, the cream of Australian music at the time, uh, doing their versions of uh, their favourite songs from the two Star Studio albums, but they also included... Uh, you know a great cover of uh, knocking on heaven's door I don't know whether that was tastefully done or not um, but um, but yeah two at least two or three originals that had never made it onto Star's albums and the first one of those originals I wanted to mention is a song sung by Broderick Smith it's called ocean Deep
2: I turn my back home. But I didn't have much say You can't ignore the future If it's blowing away. And I threw out a lifeline And prayed that it would hold Then I worked On to the ocean. Peace. Time and tide won't let a sailor sleep. Ocean never ends, like the tide.
3: Now, this song has the simplest of chord progressions. Um, And, you know, really, if this had been made into a single, I reckon that today, you know, every... Would be acoustic, folky, hippie who picks up a guitar for the first time would learn these song, learn this song and play it at campfires or parties for you to come. It's it's, but for all its simplicity, this for me has what I call the lump in the throat effect. It's so beautiful, very simple strumming. Um, it's three or four guitarists playing on this, including I think Richard Clapton. On this, um, and Andy, as you know, Mick confirmed, I'd guessed, uh, wrote this song when he knew he didn't have, uh, much time left in his life, uh, and you know, the cancer was eating away at him. Um, so, like, if if you just look at this song on the surface, it's, you know, about, uh, you know, a sailor who wants to, um, stick to the sea and he can't identify with being on the land. So, I guess, once again, Andy's tradition of, um, wanting to be anywhere but in the one place and, you know, ocean travel would have given his character that option. But, um, uh, undeniably, this is a metaphor for his own, uh, very sad situation, uh, where, um, Broderick Smith sings, I'm feeling like a captain with no hull beneath my deck. The waves are pounding my proud ship to a wreck. The songs of the sirens are still ringing in my ears. I'm a weather-worn sailor feeling his years. Um. Yeah, lump in the throat. What did you think the first time you heard this?
4: Yeah, it's.
3: Is this one that does it for you? This
4: this, this one really stuck out from the from the concert album for me. And um, as you say, it's it's a simple tune, but it's it's such a wonderful tune, and it's in only only recently, only a few years ago, the um the con the DVD from the concert was released, and it yes being able to actually watch it, not just hear the um. You know, I, I saw it on television, and I, and and it's been re- replayed occasionally. But um, yeah, to actually, to actually be able to you know watch it at your leisure would the song really sinks in. But um, yeah, it is a uh, a wonderful tune indeed. One, <gasps> yeah, certainly one of the highlights of the uh, of the album, I think so. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Broderick Smith really does a great version of it. it?
3: Look, he's still doing it live, I believe. Uh, if you uh, if you go into YouTube, has um uh, a, a film clip of Broderick, um, uh, you know, looking like he looks now, I think fairly recent, and he's still doing the song. Um, so it's obviously some uh, a song that really, really touched him, uh, yeah. as I'm sure anyone who heard it.
4: And Mal Eastick's first solo album, The Southern Line, has a, a great version of it as well. Oh,
3: great. Oh, look, I'm going to have to track that one down. It's, it's just so beautiful. Um, I just want to mention another couple of lines of lyrics. um, that you know really nailed it for me, where I knew this was about his situation. Um, you know, I think you know, so. There's this line where he writes about probably where he was first starting to get treatment. I threw out a lifeline and I prayed that it would hold. Then I waited for the storm to go. Um, and then probably when he realizes it's not the treatment wasn't going to work. He sings, as long as there's an ocean and a strong steady wind, I'll sail the sea forever. No land can lock me in. I mean, that's a brave lyric. That's someone who realizes, well, you know, the cancer might have gotten my body, but I'm not going to let it overtake who I am. I'm not going to uh, be gripped with fear. I'm just going to continue to write songs and I'm going to continue to, you know, love my loved ones and live the rest of my life the way I, the best way I can.
4: Yeah, it's, I, I guess, yeah, it, it'd be interesting to, to have, you know, someone's opinion that, that didn't know the background of the song. It, it's hard to sort of get that out of your mind, isn't it, when you know uh, about Andy and what happened to him and how the song was written. But it's, yeah, it would be interesting to see how that would, you know, it's. to me, just on a, you know, without knowing that, it's just, it's just a... As you said, such a beautiful tune. So have you gone
3: and played this for um, for your kids?
4: No, I can't say have.
3: Well, there you go. You've you got an opportunity to play it to someone who has no background, has no history with stars. Play them just this song. See what, and I'll, I'll do it for Max tomorrow and see what he thinks and you know, we'll compare notes. <laughs> You seem enthralled with that idea. No, no,
4: that's a good idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to pin down my children at the moment is, is a bit of a challenge. Ah, well, somewhere. Okay. All right, so look, the final song
3: I want to talk about uh, uh, tonight, um, also from the Andy Durant Memorial Concert, and definitely Blind Freddy could see that um, this is about Andy writing about his last remaining time. Uh, is a tune called Solitaire.
2: on my door But they don't worry me They can't reach me anymore Outside the whole wide world can roll along without me Yes, I'll let it I'll just close my door and forget it Solitaire is always there I can find it anywhere Behind closed doors It waits for me Quiet the rooms Where it's good to be Charlotte Chair Is always there And I've been away too long Charlotte Chair Welcomes me home
3: Now, Ian Moss is the singer and guitar player on this and i think back when the album when the concert was done um, cold chisel had just released east and i had no idea if they knew what juggernaut it was going to be this was in the day and i imagine still today you know one of if not the biggest certainly one of the biggest albums ever um, a real cultural touchstone. I mean, I know, you know, there's been a lot of talk, especially in recent times over the, you know, the tragedy of, uh, Greg Hamm and all that went wrong with Men at Works, Business as Usual, and, and, or in particular Down Under. But in terms of an Australian album that I don't know if it made any sort of really big impact in the States, but within this country, everyone my age. And you know your age had a copy of East. Every home had a copy. Um. So, uh, you know, Ian Moss. I can't imagine anyone singing this. I mean, I, I, anyone else. I, I can't imagine Mick Peeling doing this. Although I certainly hope he gives it a, a, a crack when um, uh, when um, he does that next gig with the Prairie Oysters. But you know, it, it's got that combination that cultures Chisel would. Do in their quiet moments, quieter moments on stage, having, uh, Don Walker play piano, Ian singing and doing a little bit of tasteful guitar, so doing that torch ballad thing like they used to do with you know, the Don Walker original parties over when they used to cover Georgia on my mind or, or Julie London's song, um, Crimea River. Um, so really this was for, for Ian Moss and, um, Don Walker to do this song. This was, you know, meat and potatoes to them. The, the approach to this song—it's just—it could have been another Chisel song, and I'm—I'm I'm really wondering whether uh, Chisel ever included it in, in their set.
4: Not, not that I ever ever saw them or or ever or ever read about. Them. No, not at all. But I, I absolutely agree. It, it just Ian Moss makes this his own, doesn't mm. he? And it and it really does fit well with the, with those tunes you mentioned. Mm. And it 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 didn't again this tune didn't really stick out for me in the um in the in the original album but again watching the watching the concert it it um it had yeah quite quite a quite an effect on me I, I re- it really stood out where as i said, that on the vinyl it didn't and i'm not sure well, why maybe because i you know a lot of the other tunes that i know and love so much sort of overshadowed it
3: mm, mm. but um no i guess seeing because i remember um, when this, uh, when the concert was simulcast on television, I didn't get to the concert itself, but I remember watching it on uh, Night Moves you know, late whatever night it was on and turning the radio on you know, back in the day when it was a common thing to have, or maybe not common, but a really special thing to have a concert on TV, which you'd turn down the volume on the TV and put the radio up on you know the uh, FM station to full blast and so I remember watching it you know late at night and hearing this song and you know I I was the opposite this song absolutely hit me completely between the eyes I I just I love that torch ballad feel Uh, you know the lyric really got me straight away and and Don Walker's uh, really simple style of piano playing on this and and Mossy does a great guitar solo, and uh, a, a fellow called Billy Rogers, who uh, was a uh, basically a touring member of Cold Chisel, um, joined them. So really, this was like a, a little Chisel offshoot, I guess, from uh, the night. You know, they had so many musicians, but this is just a little corner of Cold Chisel. Mm, so.
4: Most definitely, and the uh, the if um, I'm not I'm not sure how readily available the DVD is anymore, but it's a uh, it's not it's not just a DVD. The concert it, it actually includes a uh, a uh, a stars performance, I think, when Land of Fortune was released from from the Bombay Rock, which is a was a a very iconic Melbourne venue, and it's mm. uh, it, it's a great DVD. It, it, absolutely, uh, If you uh, yeah, if, if it's available and you like some of the, you know, you're not familiar with some of the stuff that we've talked about, it's uh, it, it's a wonderful package. It mm.
3: sure, certainly is. All right. Well, um, we have spoken for quite a while now about. Um about uh, these uh, great landmark recordings in Australian rock and roll history, so I think it's time for us to um, have a uh, have a glass of water, have a drop of whiskey, a beer, whatever, and um, uh, we'll be back uh, after the break. Oh, sorry, actually, no, straight after the break, we've got uh, another segment by Eric Reanimator, and like I guess it was fair enough that you know, you know, yourself and myself talking. Uh, over a number of shows about great landmark American recordings. So it was only about time that an American would come back and talk to us about his favourite Australian album. So uh, Eric Reanimator uh, has uh, got this episode's segment of an album I love. He's talking about a great album from Radio Birdman, Radio Appear. So um, we'll go to a, a podcast promo and come back with Eric Reanimator and hear what he has to say about uh, this great landmark album from Radio Birdman. You're listening to Michael and Morris here on Love That Album. We'll be back shortly.
0: Eight, seven, six,
1: five, four, three, two, one. Bet something big is coming up. This
0: is Terry Frost and I want to tell you about my new podcast, The Martian Drive-In. In the podcast, me and a guest will look at obscure but interesting speculative fiction movies. The ones that don't get enough love, the obscure movies that you catch late at night, you can't remember the name of, but you really like them. You can go to marsdrivein.blogspot.com or subscribe to the Paleo Cinema feed in iTunes. The Martian Drive-In podcast. Watching the skies since 2012.
2: Take
4: it away, Eric, the orchestra leader!
2: I want two, I want two, keep Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah,
3: hallelujah, hallelujah! Now it's time for An Album I Love with Eric Reanimator. A la dee dee, a uh, one two three. Eric the reanimator.
5: Greetings and salutations, all. Eric Reanimator here, back with another album that I love. This time around, a band from Australia, featuring a guitarist from my hometown. Yes, I am going to be talking about Radio Birdman, one of the leaders of the Australian punk movement in the 1970s. Radio Birdman not only imported the sounds of the Stooges and the MC5, but they were also a pivotal band in forming the scene, encouraging other bands, playing with other bands writing songs for and with other bands. Radio Birdman formed in 1974 and recorded their first full-length album, Radios Appear, in 1976 and 1977. The original track listing of the album included a cover of TVI by The Stooges. Subsequent overseas releases, the album included a cover of You're Gonna Miss Me by Rocky Erickson and the 13th Floor Elevators. Starting with those two covers, the band had basically announced their sound. They were going to be playing garage rock. They were influenced by proto-punk bands that band leader and guitarist Dennis Tech went off around. They also incorporated elements of surf rock and were big fans of and influenced by the band Blue Oyster Cult. Even taking the album's title from Blue Oyster Cult's song, Dominance Submission." So let's go ahead and take a listen to a little bit of Radio's appearance. doing this segment is I start playing the music and I just want to sit here and listen to it and I want to play it all for you, but the whole point of me doing this is to give people a taste and to talk about these albums and talk about these bands. And when I listen to radios appear, what I find myself connecting with is a certain energy. It doesn't matter what the tempo of the song is, that energy is always there, that drive. There's a certain charge you get from it. It's also got a certain primitive jangle and swagger to it. And the obvious tough guy, Detroit rock and roll is there. But at the same time, you can definitely hear a pop element that is the same thing the Ramones were tapping into. And uh, another band that Radio Birdman was influenced by is the Flaming Groovies, who were a very interesting band in that they started off as a proto-punk band and then became more like a power-pop band. I think also to a certain degree, what they were doing was kind of blunting the in-your-face political attitudes and social-political attitudes of the Stooges and the MC5, putting their own spin on them, and at the same time, still remembering to play accessible pop music. So I'm going to leave you now with what most people consider to be the Radio Birdman song. Catch you all on the first second.
3: And once again, another great segment from Eric Reanimator talking there about Radio Birdman's "Radios Appear" album. Talk about selling ice to the Eskimos, but I guess that's what we've been doing till now, isn't
4: it? Indeed, indeed. It's it's so great to to hear Eric talk about, um, you know, from um, a man from the other side of the world talk about an album that that I grew up with and love from Australia. That I, I in 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 hindsight, in recent years. I, it was really quite an eye opener on on how many people from the states and from Europe knew and loved radio Birdman. and um mm. at the time you know in the in the, the sort of you know 77 78 i we just thought they were they were heirs in australia and uh, yeah i found that really fascinating and and they again it's you know they were a band that you know i i thought were you know, australia's answer to the Ramones but they like, you know having a piano play it made them so different. Yep. But um yeah, fantastic album.
3: And it it's interesting up. that we interesting that you know we paired up uh, that segment with our show about stars because really I mean both great Australian bands but both incredibly different to all each all other.
4: apart. and from
3: the same time period.
4: Yes, yes. And so different. Yeah mm. absolutely and, and that's an interesting thing that you make that point that that stars came along at a time where the punk movement was in its heyday and they were they couldn't have been more removed, you know, more more rooted back in the in the early seventies.
3: Well I, I guess I guess basically that period of time belonged to bands like Radio Birdman. And you know, in some ways maybe yeah, as you say, stars would have been the odd group out in some in some ways. But I I, I guess well, maybe I don't know, if it depends on the radio station that you listen to. Yeah, well you
4: know, in Australia there was like two two themes going at the same time, wasn't it? There? there was a, a traditional rock and roll that, that seemed to be still, you know, stars, as as you mentioned, Cold Chisel, but there was, you know, the new bands coming out of Australia were... And I guess it was similar in, in the States and in, in the UK at the time, but, um, yeah, it's... And I, you know, it, it was... I don't, I don't recall being ostracised by my mates for liking both types of music, but... Mm you know i i really in you know heard other people in, you know in 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 london for instance you know if you were you know if you loved the clash and the sex pistols you you, you wouldn't be seen dead <laughs> like in palmer you know <laughs> all right
3: so we've um i think we've uh, pretty much covered all that we want to talk about this evening so it's you know, time to that part of the show where we give the um the greetings and salutations. Anyone who you want to give a bit of a shout out to? Any podcasts that have really caught your ears, or great websites, great music websites that the listeners should know about?
4: I'm not getting too much time to do any, too much of that, but I I, I wanted to mention a, um, and you can probably jump on his website. Um, and I've got it in somewhere. Just it's called uh, bayerstreetarts.com.au, So it's all one word. Mm. B Eyer Street Arts. Yep. It's, it's the website of a of a local photographer by the name of Kevin Killing, and and Kevin back in the seventies. Why does that
3: name sound familiar?
4: He, he was a, um, I think a, a journalist in Sydney back in the seventies. But he he his claim to fame in in Adelaide was we mentioned the radio station Five KA before, and he was like their staff photographer back in the seventies. Oh wow. And he's got an exhibition of just great rock and roll photographs that he that he's taken from um, yeah bands that came to Adelaide in the seventies from all over the world. There's some iconic photographs of you know the likes of Paul McCartney and that and um, yeah he's a he's a really interesting character and just
3: so he's the uh, the Australian Annie Leibovitz.
4: Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, yeah, a, a really a really nice guy. And I'm uh, I've. I'm uh, having him on the program before the exhibition starts and it's online in Adelaide uh, in a couple of weeks. So we'll hopefully we'll be chatting to him very soon.
3: Oh, i look forward to that one. That'll be fantastic. Yeah, interesting character. Mm. All right. So I'll um, give my usual shout-outs to the great podcasts, which I enjoy to listen to or, and, and we've also um, been very, very supportive of uh, Love That Album. So, start off with um, uh, Melbourne-based podcaster Terry Frost, who uh, also works for the company that I still work for and you used to work for, um, with his two great shows. Now, uh, Paleo Cinema, which has gone from becoming a fortnightly podcast to a monthly podcast, so he's alternating every two weeks between... Paleo Cinema, which covers uh, anything more than 20 years old, although, really, I don't think he's done anything that's been, you know, younger than 40 years old in quite a long while. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Terry. Um, but, yeah, Paleo Cinema and The Martian Drive-In Podcast. He's only, I think, about four episodes into that. And unlike Paleo Cinema, he's quite happy to do uh, newer films. And I think on his last show, it covered something that was maybe about one or two years old. Um... But the the name, as the name implies, Martian Driven Podcast is going to focus more. Well, you could say science fiction, but I think he likes to use the term speculative fiction. Uh, but um, yeah, both both are uh, really essential listening if uh, you're into uh, film film studies and and uh, really what Terry doesn't know about film, I don't think is worth knowing. And just also one more thing I should mention outside of his podcasting duties. He also has a weekly segment on ABC Radio Darwin. Uh, He records it in Melbourne, goes into the ABC studios in Melbourne into uh, what he calls the TARDIS and every week he uh, gets online and speaks to the announcer, radio announcer of uh, weeknights there called uh, Ivor Cole, a really lovely bloke and it's just fantastic that um, the ABC can give Terry this opportunity so every week he speaks for half an hour about a classic film. I take one film, talk about it for half an hour um, and you know, this goes on air I think every Thursday night. They record it on Friday but it plays the following Thursday night. And I think next Thursday, at least from the time of our recording, is they're going to be talking about the Maltese Falcon. So um, that's uh, very exciting. If you can tune in to ABC Radio Darwin via the web on a Thursday night, uh, I don't know, I think about 9.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time, uh, you get to hear some Terry Frost. But if you don't want to go to that extent, download Paleo Cinema or the Martian Drive-In podcast. Uh, other great shows, uh, Silver and Gold, the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. The List Film Podcast. Uh, the Twilight Zone Podcast. I've not heard as many of that as I'd like. I've heard a few though. And um, uh, Tom there is uh, talking about... Uh, taking every episode of the podcast talking about a different episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, so uh, if you're a fan of The Twilight Zone, as I am, it's uh, pretty wonderful listening. Uh, the Inside Outcast. And very recently, um, they had an episode featuring VK Lin, who is uh, a regular member of the List Music podcast, which I was very graciously invited to uh, a few weeks ago. Um, And yeah, Inside Outcast, they talk about everything, you know, music, media, games, films, everything, and that's hosted by uh, uh, Brandy and Evil Dave Jackola, so uh, give them a bit of a check out Better in the Dark featuring uh, Thomas and Derek Thomas was uh, on the recent Love That Album show covering Ben Fold's uh, album Songs for Silverman Um, some show I don't know if you've heard of it uh, Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide what do you know about that one
4: I like it a lot it's um, understated but uh, (laughs) yeah, I'm quite fond of it I'm quite fond of it Uh, just letting it roll at the moment because I've Life, because life is a bit uh, all over the place at the moment. It's finding it a bit hard to um, to line up interviews, so I'm I'm sort of just letting the show roll. So I'm, I'm, it's for uh, the foreseeable, maybe next six months, it's, it may be a little bit different than normal. So I'm, I'm having a bit of fun, just throwing in whatever sort of lobs on my desk.
3: If you need to stand in, you know, if you need a co-host or you know, someone to stand in while you're sort of like doing your uh, management duties for uh, the borderers, you know, just. You know where I live. Uh, well, of course, we, we sitting sitting in a bar in Melbourne doesn't quite have the same ring, though, does it?
4: We we need to do one. We I enjoyed the the uh, the the one we did about our, uh, our favourite drummers a while back. So we we need to uh, come up with another theme.
3: I think we will. Um, and I'm going to mention a couple of websites that I've come across. They're not uh, podcasts, although I think actually there might be a podcast associated with one of these websites. Um, and I've. Got a link to these from uh, Eric Reanimator's blog site. Uh, the websites are called um, Pop Geek Heaven. That's as it sounds, popgeekheaven.com and powerpopcriminals.com. Now, I think power, uh, Pop Geek Heaven is quite new, and as you might sort of ascertain from uh, the names, uh, both of these websites are out to promote both uh, old and new acts who are into um, uh, great power pop, uh, and really some of the acts who they promote, uh, uh, great Australian acts too. Um, so um, uh, I, I'm not sure actually whether I've seen it, whether there's Michael Carpenter has had anything on um, on their website, but you know he's you know, probably one of my favourite local power pop acts. But if you really like, you know strong pop with a uh, a bit of a a bit of a rock out but with some great melodic feel then um, these websites are for you and um, yeah go check them out there's a a lot of resources on there Um, I'm really quite taken with them but there's a lot on there so a lot for uh, myself to explore and your good selves out there if uh, you're into power pop music. Um now I've not been making mention of these in the last few shows so I should probably uh, I've made a note here to remind myself to um let you folks know that you know I'm always willing to get some feedback um if you want to uh, send me feedback either by written email or an MP3 of your self talking can be anything saying something you liked about the show something you didn't like about the show uh, an album that you'd like to suggest that I tackle um always want to take that sort of stuff on. So you can send an email to rrrkitchen at au. I should probably put like a Love That Album email address, but this is a, my email address I've been using for years. I don't need another one to go checking over. Good Lord. Um, so rrrkitchen at au. You can go to the Facebook page, which I finally worked out how to put the name of the... Uh, of the show in the url so if you go to www.facebook.com slash groups slash love that album then you should find your way now it's a closed group uh, i made it sort of that way because you know a couple of the other uh facebook film groups that i've been on has seen some uh, interesting material so just in case anyone wanted to put some interesting pictures on the love that album facebook page i thought well let's keep it a closed group Um, so people can do that sort of thing you know pictures of groupies or whatever I don't know that's your call Uh, so but yes if you uh, make a request to join the group no problem I'll um, I'll let you on if you want to talk about music related things um, or you can go to the website lovethatalbum.blogspot.com I used to write articles there pretty much now it's just a repository to (coughs) let people that the new episodes of the podcast are up but it's another place you can go check out and you can l- listen to streaming if you don't want to download it uh, directly. And if you do choose to download it directly, uh, presuming you haven't already done it for this episode or previous episodes, you can get it off iTunes by searching for Love That Album, all one word. I think that pretty much covers it. Oh, look, I might give you a little bit of a heads up for um, what's coming up over the next few weeks. I don't normally do this, but some um, uh, some really good shows I'm looking forward to uh, putting together over the next few weeks. So the next one, uh, which I will probably have up, hopefully all going well, in the next couple of weeks, uh, I'll be hosting with a guy who I'm really thrilled to uh, have on the program with me. If you live in Australia, you won't need any introduction to who he is. I'm talking about Brian Nankervis, host of Rock Quiz. Um, he's a very, very busy man, but when I Sent him an email telling him about the podcast. Um, I was so thrilled that he said, "Sounds like a fantastic thing to um, uh, get together with someone and talk about music that I love." Uh, and you know, that's pretty much what he's made a living out of doing on the Rock Quiz program. If you live in America and don't know what this Rock Quiz thing is, then uh, just go to sbs.com.au forward slash rock quiz and find out all about it. It's basically like, uh, you know, rock trivia quiz uh, done at an iconic pub in Melbourne called the Esplanade Hotel. And uh, Brian Nankervis is the very charismatic adjudicator of um, the uh, program. It's hosted by the wonderful Lovely, gorgeous, let's not leave that out, and very, very funny, Julia Zemiro. So if um, you go to that website, sbs.com.au slash rockwiz, you can probably watch one a recent episode. They probably put one or two episodes on at a time. Um, and they're right now into their 10th season. So I recommend that you search them out. But it'll be great. Brian Nancurvis will be on the next Love That Album episode talking about an album that he's very, very much in love with and has been since the early 70s uh the bird's sweetheart of the rodeo um so it'll be interesting to hear what um, he has to say and i wasn't sure what i thought about this album when i first heard about it i probably prefer um uh, graham parson's album albums with the flying burrito brothers but um this is certainly a forerunner up to uh that uh those great flying burrito brothers albums uh, so very much looking forward to uh, speaking with Brian about Sweetheart of the Rodeo. And I'll, I've, I've got about another four or five shows lined up. Um, I think I'll leave those as a surprise. Oh, yeah, just leave a bit of mystery. Although, I'll, actually, I'll, I will make one more mention of the next show after Brian's show, which will be, once again, with your good self, Michael. Um, we'll be talking about Los Lobos' album Kiko, which is... Um, In August, I think we'll have reached its 20th anniversary. Uh, And
4: chance they might come to Australia,
3: maybe. Oh, look, I'm crossing my fingers about that. It was a long time between drinks, between the first time and the second time. But between the second time and the third time was only seven years. And between the third time and the fourth time, well, they went third time, they went to Sydney only. And then they came to Melbourne for, on I think, three months later. And I went to Sydney to see them and saw them again in Melbourne and the pleasure was just absolutely all mine and um the exciting thing about that uh show will be uh, where Michael and I will be talking about Kiko is I'll be featuring an interview with Steve Berlin I recently spoke with him uh over Skype I just love Skype I think it's wonderful um uh, I I sent an email to Steve and asked him if he wanted to talk about his recollections of recording that magnificent really groundbreaking for them album and this came out I think the same year as Nevermind um, and everyone thinks of Nevermind but, but you know really uh-huh. Kiko is the album that people should be talking about it's it was it was the real grand shaker at least in my world in my life uh, but um, really there are a few things that uh, Steve mentioned that I just would not have guessed um, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in our chat so that'll be up in a few weeks time and be interesting to hear what uh you have to say about kiko michael because um uh you were saying that you used to play in a band with a los lobos fanatic but you weren't all that familiar with a, a lot of their um a lot of their albums
4: no absolutely not and and kiko was was one that I really wasn't familiar with and I've listened to it a lot since we've uh, since we've decided to to have a chat about it and I love it it's it's really grown on me it's uh, it's good, you know, even to discover music that's uh, that's 20 years old that, uh, that is wonderful. That's, that's better late than me.
3: Oh, look, I think that's a story of my life. I'm discovering a lot of bands that I should have known about 20, 30 years ago. But, um, yeah, as you say, it's better that it's in your life at some stage than not at all. So, all right. Well, uh, it's two minutes to one on Saturday night, Sunday morning here, or I think it's well half an hour less for you Adelaide folk. So I think, I think the um the land of Nod is calling me. So I'm, I I'm
4: back in the studio in nine and a half hours. Oh, it's a good life for
3: some. <laughs> you know, I'd be I'd be quite happy if you don't want to do it. I'll get on the plane and I'll I'll drum for your mob.
4: Uh, you'd hate it to be lo- locked on a cruise ship.
3: <laughs> Playing music every day. Oh no, I wouldn't like that at at all. No, <laughs> much. All right, no, thanks very much for another wonderful um, chat, Michael. I look forward to uh, speaking to you in a few weeks again.
4: Always a pleasure, mate, and I, I, I really hope that with folks that uh, in Australia that remember STARS, I, ho- I really hope this episode has uh, rekindled your love for the band, and, and if you are uh, from other parts of the world and you weren't familiar with STARS, I hope you enjoyed because uh, they, yeah, they really, Morris and I, they really, uh, yeah, really do mean a lot to us, and mm. uh, fantastic music indeed.
3: Mm. All right, no worries. We'll um, see you again in a couple of weeks with Brian Nankervis, uh and then a few, a couple of weeks later with Michael. So. Um in the meantime, please download a lot of podcasts, the ones that I mentioned, other ones that you may love. Please recommend to me. I'm always wanting to hear new podcasts. Uh, read some great books. Watch some great films. but it, And most importantly to us, listen to a lot of great music. Uh, and uh, we'll be back with Love That album in another couple of weeks. So uh, thanks for listening and cheers.